Let's do it. I'm ready to rock. Following growing criticism, Spike Lee has scrubbed footage featuring 9-11 conspiracy theories from the final chapter of his four-part HBO docuseries. The final chapter featured theories about the reported causes of the World Trade Center building's collapses. Palisade Peaches offers fruit with a side of 9-11 trutherism printed on the box. Confused customers have asked us about this for years. The man behind the peaches, keen on conspiracy theories, says it has cost him a lot of business. Dave Cox volunteered to me that he was also charged with felony marijuana growing. He says it's government retribution for his 9-11 trutherism. I was more curious whether it's easier to grow peaches or weed. Um, I would say it's easier to grow weed. But Cox will stay in the business of peaches as he preaches his 9-11 conspiracy theory to unsuspecting customers all over Colorado. It's impressive. I mean, it's impressive for somebody in any kind of high-profile position to challenge the government when you're getting average people, you know, slandered for any kind of opposition. Anybody who challenges anything with a reasonable challenge gets slandered and criticized. I think he's a brave man to even question this aloud in an environment where people have been saying that anyone who questions the government is a traitor. So Charlie Sheen has done his homework and he's asking questions. What you discover is that a lot of facts don't add up. And even if a modicum of what is being put out there, all these conspiracy theories, even if a piece of that is true, we have a responsibility, don't you think, to, to be asking it. the questions and to be doing the investigation? I think it's very patriotic to investigate it. Mr. Sheen has amazing courage to do what he's done. He seemed to blame George W. Bush for the September 11th, 2001 attacks. Say what you want, the World Trade Center came down during his time. If you look Hold at on, that, you can't blame George Bush well, for that. He, he was president, okay? Don't blame him or don't blame him, but he was president. In America, we are fed propaganda, and if you want to know what's happening in the world, go outside of the U.S. media, because it's owned by four corporations. One of them is this one. And you know what? Go outside of the country to find out what's going on in our own country, because it's frightening. I do believe that in the first time in history that fire has ever melted steel. I do believe that it defies physics for the World Trade Center Tower. Seven, building 7, which collapsed in on itself. It is impossible for a building to fall the way it fell without explosives being involved. World Trade Center 7. World Trader 1 and 2 got hit by planes. 7, miraculously, the first time in history, steel was melted by fire. It is physically impossible. And who do you think is responsible for that? I have no idea. After a six-pack! This is Tom DeLong from Angels and Airwaves. When you kind of piece apart the the way the buildings exploded it seemed to echo the way big buildings are demolition two weeks before 9-11 there was teams of people that were entering the world trade center doing things that were unknown to most shutting off the security systems let's get right right sure because we talked about this a little bit your last time on the show as well this whole idea that you have some documents which you say uh, at least reinforce the idea that the government had advanced knowledge uh, that 9-11 could happen Absolutely. and didn't didn't work to stop it. Now, I find a hard time believing you actually believe that. Why? False flag operations, if you go through history, happen all the time before these wars. But, but, but the documents you, you, you use on 9-11 show, well, there's one document that, that suggests that uh, Tower 7 fell down faster than it could have fallen down just by It doesn't suggest it. It says it. It said it fell at, NIST report said it fell at free fall. So then you well, make that, the Wait a minute. That means you got to defy the laws of physics. That means everything was removed in which for anything to fall at free fall But then you make speed, that leap then to the idea that 
that it was demolished by, with, by explosives inside by the government. I don't, make, I don't make a leap. Why didn't they check for explosives? They never did, if not to eliminate them. They didn't do that. Six-pack episode 137, and this is a new live son of a bitch. This is a new live son of a bitch. Reopen that 9-11 investigation. What really happened there? Joined by Charlie Robinson, author and host of Macroaggressions, and Alex Stein, professional asshole and host of The Conspiracy Castle. How you doing, guys? Thank you for having me. I really appreciate that awesome introduction. And Charlie, it's a pleasure to be on the show with you and talk to you again. How are you guys doing? I'm great, man. Let's do it. Let's let's solve 9/11, shall we? Yeah. I'm I'm uh the, the main thing I'm wondering from that intro is why did it, why was everybody that questioned 9/11 in in the public eye uh, why did they end up being like a vax shill like Jesse Ventura or smoking crack and getting AIDS like Charlie Sheen or just being an all-around fat lesbian slob like Rosie O'Donnell? Like, what happened? You know, that's a really good point because, you know, they keep showing that. I forget what the name of Jesse Ventura's uh, conspiracy show was, but the exact episode with Alex Jones where they talk about medical tyranny through forced vaccination. And they show Jesse Ventura that clip. I don't know if you guys have seen this. And he just disregards it. So he even has the evidence where. He was talking about the vaccine is literally a bioweapon uh, that is forced through mandates. He was the one blowing the whistle about it, and now he's like the biggest vaccine shill. So, I mean, it should really make us worried about, I guess, who we get our truth, quote-unquote, from. Yeah. I mean, it's just a bummer because Charlie Sheen was always my biggest role model for everything. <laughs> Does he love – is Charlie Sheen a huge vax guy? I don't even know. Is that his latest thing? I figured he would be anti-vax. No, it's just uh, – I mean, I do love Charlie Sheen, but um, – well, there's stuff with – not to go up too deep up into a rabbit hole, but people have brought my – to my attention and a lot of stuff him involved in like the pedophilia love boys boy love stuff in Hollywood that Charlie Sheen was involved in that and you hate to think that's true but oh I'm sure he was involved but then I see I heard something that Charlie Sheen and you know his wife what's the famous girl she was the Bond girl I can't even think of her name Rosie O'Donnell wanted to no, not Rosie O'Donnell. Uh, uh, Denise, Denise Richards. Denise Richards, yes. <laughs> Supposedly him and Denise Richards are fighting because she wanted to vaccinate their kids and he doesn't. Have you guys heard about that? Here, that let me pull was, up my phone. That was a long time ago. Oh, that it was, was when like they were MMR. little kids. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that is what it was. Yeah. Wow. No, he's still, as far as I know, he still is is based when it comes to that stuff. But he went off the deep end. Yeah, he got dragged into like the Corey... Haim situation um, talking about like you know Corey Haim said Charlie Sheen raped me on the set and things like that so real That's real right. bad stuff but yeah. if you get if you <laughs> if you depart from that for a, for a minute if you allow yourself to yeah he's had some interesting um, you know he's he he's been way ahead of the curve but the problem is. He's also way ahead of the curve on crack cocaine. And so that <laughs> when you put those two things together, it's hard to sort of form a coherent argument 
or even if you do, it's hard for that argument to stand up when everyone just goes, so did you come up with this while you were smoking crack or afterwards? And so it, it, yeah. it's he's kind of the wrong ambassador for it. It's funny that Rosie O'Donnell is is is, uh, you know, had had been as outspoken as she was, because I would have bet my life that she would have been just like another host on The View and would be like, absolute conspiracy theorists. You guys are going to get us yeah. all killed. But she was she was kind of ahead. You know, she was ahead of everyone. At least she said what she thought. Well, here, I want to make this point. I don't know if you guys have seen the clip, but John Stewart said, and he's a part of the establishment as it gets, but he said, it's really dangerous who gets to declare what is misinformation because The Daily Show back in 2005 and 2001 after 9-11 would have been considered disinformation. And they were 100% right about, you know, the waste of the war in Iraq. So it's just crazy who gets to be the purveyor of like, you know, what are we allowed to say and what we aren't when, you know, The Daily Show today would be outlawed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I 100% agree. And John Stewart, like you said, he is pretty embedded in the establishment, but him and Bill Maher, you know, they, they have their breaking point, it seems, at certain times where they just can't go along with certain things. Do you guys remember, uh, I mean, this article's nine years old, but I remember when it was announced, I was excited about it. And sorry for anybody listening, that sound terrible because I can't breathe through my nose right now. But uh, <laughs> We can't my, uh, tell. You sound great. You sound good. <laughs> but, uh, so... It's uh, a myocarditis. Nobody can breathe right now. It's I have a, it's myocarditis of the nose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got it. You got nose carditis. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, th- so this was like nine years ago. So I, was like, I was excited for it to come out. And of course, it never actually happened. But Martin Sheen and Woody Harrelson set for 9-11 truther film called September Morn. And, See, that uh, would have been a hit. And yeah. they should have came out with it. It would have been awesome. That it was going to be. Worked. It was supposed to be Great. kind of like a a docudrama, kind of like Oliver Stone's JFK or something. Would have well, been I, I'd like to. I'd like to hear your guys. Uh, for me, what woke me up is the classic documentary, and the reason why nine eleven is so important to me uh, was Loose Change. I mean, that was like monumental yep. in my whole life, like shaking me down to my core. Like, wait, what? They can lie about this? And you know, you know, uh, you know, Operation Northwoods was a plan to. Uh, you know, fly planes into Miami under the guise that they were Cuban refugees or, you know, Cuban terrorists, basically, in order to start a war with Cuba. So, like, they had this Operation Northwoods flying this plan to fly planes into buildings. And then you watch that movie, and, dude, it made me, like, all the cognitive dissonance that you always suffer from, that you know the government doesn't have your back, but you, like, think they do. For me, that was, like, really, that was my cognitive dissonance breaker was uh, watching that documentary. You know, it's funny. I pulled some clips uh, kind of, you know, debunking and and, and not even debunking or attempting to really, but analyzing the 9-11 conspiracy theories and how kooky they are. And they a lot of them brought up loose change. um, And uh, let's see. Yeah, I have inside edition here. And I didn't pull the one from uh, Washington Post that I was watching this morning, but they were they actually said. But the reason people believe these conspiracy theories about 9-11 is because of a thing called cognitive dissonance. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like they just flipped it on its head there. But, yeah, I didn't pull that one. But this one t- touches on loose change. You guys cool with going through this one? Yeah, absolutely. It's inside For edition. Sure. So let me know if you want me to pause it because it's three minutes. But if, if anything stands out to you. The terrorist attacks of 9-11 provoked a wide range of responses. It's difficult to find the words to describe the feeling in New York City today. Including at least one sophisticated piece of misinformation. 
a viral internet documentary series called Loose Change. When Loose Change came out, it was a game changer. Loose Change proposed a number of unproven and false conspiracy theories, including the suggestion that the U.S. government was behind the attacks. Journalist Jonathan Kay has written extensively on conspiracy theories. He explains... These were the first people who took the conspiracist culture of the internet and said, let's turn this into something that looks like fairly slick entertainment. And because it's entertaining, people are going to watch it. And because it's slick video, people are going to think it's authoritative. Now, so far, keep this in mind. Have you heard the piano music going throughout the background here? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Not going to think... It's like some weird guy who's on the street corner just like handing them some amateur hour leaflet. Loose change may have satisfied a need for people during an unsettling time, as social psychologist Sander Vander Linden explains. Conspiracy theories are attractive for people on a psychological level for a variety of reasons. They, they feed into what we call existential needs, so our anxieties and worries about death. And, and the state of affairs and, and the, the world and the future. Um, so sort of these existential threats. Um, and so, you know, whenever they tie into that, it helps calm people down. It gives people a sense of agency and control over their lives, a simple narrative to hold on to, a simple explanation for otherwise seemingly complex and random events. Do you even know what we're talking about, man? Yeah. You read report four years ago and you think you know what happened. Kay says the medium was particularly effective at carrying its message around the time of 9-11 when you saw well-produced video it was authoritative back then it was very difficult to make good video it was good to get good digital video and it was a special skill to edit it the film's persuasive power had more to do with its production values than its arguments or information when i tell people let loose change um I tell people to try and be aware of like how much they're being affected by the music. It's like <laughs> this techno, but it has kind of an ominous uh, sound to it. It's like it's like talk about having no self awareness. Like they put out, <laughs> they put out this whole video with nothing but like scary piano music in the background, and then like by the near the end of it, they're like, "Well, when you watch those change, just pay attention to how you're being manipulated by the background music." Clearly, the only reason these conspiracy theorists are watching this is because of the high production value, too. (laughs) But it has kind of an ominous sound to it. It seems a very long bow to me, but are are you sort of suggesting that that this worked in the favour of the Bush administration? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And most of the argument isn't being done with words. Most of the argument is being done with images and music. Loose Change garnered millions of views and thousands of DVD sales. Kay says that today a film like that might not get the same views or make the same waves. If Loose Change came out now, I don't think people would watch it because no one has a 90-minute attention span anymore. The best way now would be to do a podcast. That's what people do. (laughs) But thanks in part to the success of that film and others like it, the hunger for conspiracy theories has only grown. And we want our freedom, and we want justice, and we're going to get it! While it was once reserved for the fringes of society, now it's becoming mainstream, and at least 50% of Americans believe in one conspiracy theory, if not if not multiple. A plane did not hit Building 7! This is Inside Edition Digital.
is that Inside Editions podcast? <laughs> yeah, three minute. No, it's a. Uh, I'm sure they have multiple podcasts. Like NPR, what do they have? Like thirty podcasts now. New York Times has. One. They just sit around whispering to each other all day long. Yeah, it's ridiculous. That's Can you hear me? Radio. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so just making sure. But no, it, it, it's it's so annoying how I think uh, the Daily Show. Speaking of po- fake podcasts, like them having a podcast, I believe Trevor Noah, you know, got voted like the best podcast of the year award. He's so, nominated, uh, nominated, nominated for the best, whatever best podcast of the year. I mean, everybody knows that. Well, that's because he had Hillary on. Man, I've been trying to get her on. I would have had. I would have been nominated if I got Hillary on. Oh my gosh, he's the worst, Trevor Noah. But I mean, uh, you know, the the Inside Edition is one hundred percent right. Well, not that the attention span, but now that with podcasts, we can get nine eleven truth out to a lot of other people. But you know, one thing we haven't mentioned in all these clips, we've not talked about Tower Seven, and that for me, I mean, I know we're starting off early, but that for me is like the biggest smoking gun, other than Shanksville Flight ninety three becoming dust. You know, literally landing in Pennsylvania and and disappearing and basically finding very little parts and, and the idea that like uh, a plane could even uh, uh, disappear like that. I mean, it is absolutely absurd. So it's like, there's so many smoking guns. Uh, the fact that society doesn't know this blows my mind that, that nine 11 hasn't been exposed yet. yet. I got my octopus book open Ooh. and I'm re- It's on all the nine 11 st- parts. So when we get to these topics, I'll break out some of the quotes that I have from the people, like people on the scenes in Shanksville, and we can we can hear what they had to say about things like that as we pro- proceed through this un- unmasking or un- unboxing of 9-11. Yeah, the one th- thing, and, and actually I had seen Loose Change and Loose Change 2nd Edition, but I finally took up Tim Dillon's uh, challenge. The t- I'll call it the Tim Dillon Challenge, and I watched 9- September 11th, The New Pearl Harbor. It's a five-hour doc. Holy shit, that was good. Um, it's they focus mainly on debunking the debunkers. So they they go through and every all the people, the, the skeptics, and you know the popular mechanics, and all the guys that are debunking nine eleven conspiracy theories, and they point by point just completely just demolish the debunkers' arguments. And uh, perfect. Yeah, it's. I'll put that in the show notes because it's still on YouTube, but I couldn't find it on YouTube using YouTube or Google search. I had to go to DuckDuckGo and search uh, September 11th, New Pearl Harbor, YouTube.com on DuckDuckGo. And then like, you know, five copies of it showed up on YouTube, but you can't search for it on YouTube and find it. Well, and then not only that documentary, but, you know, I believe it's the University of Alaska Fairbanks. You know, they just they even did a modeling and said that it would be impossible for the steel structure to fall at at that fast without some sort of accelerant or explosives. So, I mean, that's like another kind of smoking gun telling, you know, what the official story is, but it's funny you say Tim Dillon because dude, Tim Dillon is triple vaccinated. Like he acts like he's so awake, but he also is, uh, kind of asleep. He's kind of a funny one. I'd like to get Charlie. What do you think about Tim Dillon, Charlie? I mean, the first time I heard him was on tinfoil hat. You know, talking with Sam about uh, about all kinds of stuff. And I was like, whoa, this guy, this guy knows his shit. You know, he this guy is not afraid to go into some obscure places. I wasn't expecting that for a comedian. So I liked him. I don't I don't know him, um, but I like his stuff. I like he he's pushing around the edges. But I think that once you get to be like either really successful or on the verge of being really successful, 
you then it's somewhere in the back of your mind you have to kind of watch what you're saying i think i think these guys sort of subconsciously censor themselves i don't know why that you'd get three vaccinations though <laughs> that, no. that doesn't doesn't explain that but yeah. um especially when funny, he's been so critical of the vaccine and saying like well these didn't work for shit but he still got the booster it's like what the hell dude but you know whatever. Yeah, that's that's really weird um and then also with the Tim Dillon thing, there's a conspiracy. Kevin Brennan, who's a comedian, he says that he's fake gay and that he's not even really gay. And that he may not being gay, which I don't <laughs> believe. I think he is probably gay, which is totally fine. But he is the most disheveled, unkempt gay person I've ever seen. Any yeah. gay people I know, yeah. you know, they're That's all – they they all are like – even the big fat gay guys I know at least like kind of dress well or something. Not that I know so many, but I just feel like – He's just kind of very unkempt, uh, no matter his weight. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, he he's openly talked about his backstory of being a con man for a long time. So maybe the gay angle was a con to burst into the comedy scene and get away with what he was talking about. But I don't know. This 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 Tim Dillon rabbit hole could go forever. So I don't I, <laughs> that's all my thoughts on it. Is he coming on? Is he going to be on later this hour? No, no, no maybe. Uh, OK. I would. I hope. I hope not. And after we talk so much shit about him right at the top there. No, but I yeah, think no, like he's, he's, think he's funny. He, yeah, he's, he's fine. He 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 is he's, like he's funny. But I do. I agree that with Alex that there might there's might be something shady going on with him. But there's something shady going on with everybody at that level. I agree. That's true. I mean, there's something shady going on with everybody. What are you gonna do? But the vaccine, though, it's like okay. So let me tell you, this is what sucks. I'm in such a bad mood today. Um. Not only did my mom die of COVID, not that I'm trying to even get in that low vibrational state. So there's this TV show on NBC. It's a stupid reality show. And I was actually the person who called me about this is like before, you know, around before January. So uh, uh, probably November is when they first reached out. And uh, they said, oh, you don't need to be vaccinated. It's going to shoot in Europe. And like, you know, you probably don't need to be vaccinated. You don't need to be vaccinated. So I go through this whole casting process. And they called me yesterday, and they're like, Alex, you know, you, you have the show, but you have to finish your vaccine schedule before, you know, we can send you the full agreement. So you have to start it now because you have to be two weeks past your last shot. You know, you have to wait two weeks in between them, so it takes about a month before you're fully vaccinated. And I told them, no, I'm not going to do it. And obviously, you know, they're like, oh, you should, you know, it'd be good. It's the only way you can do the show. And it just sucks because I'm not trying to make people feel sorry for me, but it's like, there's still opportunities that I'm never going to get to do or see once in a lifetime opportunities because I don't want to get vaccinated. It just makes me feel it's just this pandemic, like any success that I have, anytime I'm like, oh, man, I gained a few Instagram followers. I just like get kicked in the dick with some other COVID restriction that is out of my control or that I won't do because like I'll put the mask on for even though I don't want to put the mask on at all to go on a plane, even though I've only flown one time in the past two years. You know, I put on the mask because I just, you know, I needed to go on a plane. But, dude, the vaccine, I will not take the vaccine uh, under any circumstance whatsoever. So it's just uh, these COVID rules, they're, they're, they're easing up, but they're still screwing people's lives up. But I think I'm that's serious. actually – that's a nice segue into 9-11 if you think about it because we're, we're – again, it's an invisible enemy just like terrorists that are, that are definitely going to kill you. Unless you do a bunch of stuff against that goes against your better judgment or against your will in in, in after nine eleven it was you know we've got to we've got to surveil you 
You've got to fill out ridiculous paperwork for any bank account anywhere. You have to take your shoes off before you get on an airplane. Uh, we definitely have to start scanners, indiscriminate wars. Get body the scanners for thirty seconds every yep. time you fly. Yep, I make them. I make them earn. I make TSA earn their money. I I make them do the hand pat down. I make them earn it, and I just and they say you want to go in a separate room, and I go nope. I want you to do it right keep, here, baby. And you keep like a big cucumber in your pants just for the. I like down. to get just a little bit turned on, dude. I <laughs> just a little all the bit rules so they don't find the weed in my backpack, dude. I follow it all. I put my head down. I don't even want to be noticed. If they if they if they secondary search me. They're going to find all my sex toys and weed, so I have to just let them microwave me. I'm, I, I check the, that stuff. I check that stuff, so I don't, I don't have to worry about them. it. I don't trust them either with that, Charlie. Next thing you know, yeah. they're going to yeah. – in my check bag, they're going to go crazy with it, and they're going to say, oh, my gosh, we found Alex Stein's you know, hoop-de-doo or whatever they find. No, What's I a hoop-de-doo? Exactly. That, what is a hoop-de-doo? You, so you need to find out on your own when you become old enough. That's just how hoop-de-doos work. And, and I don't want to be exposed for that. But flying, you're right. They basically, you know, turn this invisible um, domestic, excuse me, this invisible Muslim terrorist. And now they've reallocated that to domestic terrorism. And it's really sad how easy it is to use a trauma-based mind control to be like, you know, oh, we're going to go kill a million Iraqis or a million Muslims and nobody even bats an eyelash. And then now these people on the left are under so much trauma-based mind control. They literally want people that are unvaccinated to die and not get hospital treatment. So it's like, you're right. It's the same exact psychological operation. On you got to break people. A new crop of people, yeah. You think yeah. you're going to kill little mentally retarded children? Oh, don't use the word retarded. Just kill them. Yeah. That's it. Well, hey, what do you guys think about the word retarded, though? I was having a, a crisis <laughs> about it. that. Well, see, and, and I try and I, I say retarded all the time, but then, you know, I got all these bad comments. I said it recently on somebody else's show. And they're like, oh, that's so insensitive. And in a way, I get where it is insensitive, but but sadly, we live in such a retarded world. It, it's almost too good of a word. That's why I don't use. use the word retarded. I just say retard, or it's plural, <laughs> retards. <laughs> they're, they're all great words. I don't want them appropriated for other people. I think the core of it comes down to this. Like, I I would never call an actually retarded person retarded. In, in in like a derogatory or negative way. I would never do that. That would be unbelievably mean and cruel and unnecessary. And the actual definition you, just means slow or, or to retard right. is to slow down. It doesn't have anything to do necessarily with mental capacity unless you say someone is mentally retarded. Then that brings in the mental cognitive yes. element. But will I call my friends that are doing stupid shit retards? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, every chance I get, I yeah. will use that word because I want to take it back. I want I want to take the power back. They've taken because the thing is, if you move from from retarded, you're not allowed to say that where you have to you have to call everybody mentally challenged. We'll give it 10 years and then mentally challenged will be, you know, oh, I can't believe you're saying that you're a race. Your racisms are showing and you're like, what? You know, so they're, they'll constantly move the goalposts. So just embrace retard. That's all I'm saying. Well, have you seen the picture where it's like JFK and he's speaking at like the, the school for retarded children and it says retarded. It, that, that's the term they use. Do you guys know the picture? Let me pull it up and try to send it to the group. Um, but yeah, that word, like exactly like you said, didn't even used to be bad. And then 20 years later, it's the worst word in the retard, world. Man. That's, just, that's just how it's always going to be. Go uh, always moving the goalposts. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about the retards in 9-11. I, I, I do. I, I'm, I think I'm going to. It's like we gave him. We gave them the N word and we gave them the F word for gays. And that's all I'm willing to give them. The rest of them I'm going to keep using. 
I'm keeping. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, I even got the pass the for those two, and I still look, gave up using them. Look at Twitter. I just sent it in the message. Look at the photo. I know it doesn't help for an audio-only podcast, but this is like a really famous picture of JFK, and he's speaking at the National Association for Retarded Children. <laughs> I'm saving uh, this right. I'm saving this right now so I can put it I'm in the. Saving uh, it too. Yeah, that, I'll put it in the show notes so when I post the episode, people can see it. That's a real. I'm photo. putting it on Twitter. Fuck. I know. That's great. Isn't that good? So many yeah. people like. And the reason I first found this photo is somebody like photoshopped somebody else's face on it, and I'm like, no, this isn't a real thing. <laughs> President, see, I'm like, that's JFK's body, or you know, that's like a real president's body. So then I had to do the searching. Yeah, no, this is a real famous photo. Uh, and the association, I think, like the next year, changed to like you know, disabled children or something, you know, something a little more friendly. But I mean. Dude, obviously, there was a time not that long ago, and this is the proper nomenclature to use. So, the, the like I said, the goalposts keep moving so fast. One day it was Muslim terrorists, and then after January 6th, it's domestic terrorists. It's really sad. Yeah, and and it was it became Muslim extremists. Like, you weren't even supposed to call them terrorists after a while. Um, but yeah, I'll... Uh... What do I, I don't I have two clips here. I'm not sure why I pulled this one, but this is France 24 and it's about a minute long. Let's talk a bit more about that with me now. Let's bring in Mark Fenster. You are a University of Florida law professor and the author of Conspiracy Theories, Secrecy and Power in American Culture. Thank you for joining us. Uh, first of all, tell us a bit more about the biggest 9-11 conspiracy oh, yeah, theories and how or if they were ever debunked. Oh, well, so the. The, probably the two most prominent of them would alternatively say that the Bush administration and the American government were either completely involved, uh, not only knew in advance, but were involved in the attack on the Twin Towers and on the Pentagon. And the lesser version of it would have it that uh, the administration knew about the coming attacks but did nothing about it. Uh, as far as debunking goes, uh, unlike with the JFK assassination, there was a government report that actually had a certain degree of credibility and sophistication in the way in which it investigated and the way in which it interacted with the public. And that had a greater effect on the general public belief and trust in government than the Warren Commission report following the Kennedy assassination. But as with all these things, it never completely killed off all conspiracy theories. It merely, for those who would be trusting of government anyway, it merely provided them with a reasonably authoritative account of what actually happened that day. Well, then what What about the others? I mean, why? I'm still confused by why American <laughs> citizens would not trust what their own government was saying, particularly at a time then when the country felt so under attack. <laughs> Bring back the word retarded. You gotta love these reporters, man. Oh, my God. Why would no, and the, report, the, the reporters are just the, I mean, they're the biggest enemy of the people is the media. Like I said, you know, John Stewart, I guess they let him be like the anti uh, uh, Middle East war voice. But dude, the these puppets that give us our information are the, probably worse than like the people that are pushing the, the buttons on the, you know, uh, drone missiles. Case in point right here. This is Bill O'Reilly and Geraldo Rivera on talking about Charlie Sheen and Rosie O'Donnell's 9-11 take. 
Here now, Fox News anchor Geraldo Rivera. Very cruel. Very cruel. Yeah, I, I don't, so. I don't I know, Charlie. I know his dad, Martin Sheen. We worked together on the issue of the homeless in the 80s and the 90s. Uh, Charlie's one of those charming guys, like Rosie O'Donnell, who had similar views, who they're almost like they're covered in Teflon. No matter what Charlie does in life, whether it's the drugs or the hookers or whatever, uh, you know, people still like him because he's a charming actor, and uh, Rosie O'Donnell also. And similarly, I believe both of them are being sincere about this. I think that they have swallowed this Kool-Aid, uh, where the in, in defiance of the facts, in defiance of the historic record, in, in defiance of uh, their own eyes and witnessing what happened when those planes smashing into the buildings. And I think unintentionally, I am sure, they are hurting the victims' families, the, the survivors, because they continue to raise this preposterous note. The victims' families, proportionately, more they want a reinvestigation more than anybody. But that never really the gets victims' to families opened up the investigation. If it wasn't for them, there wouldn't have even been the 9-11 omission report. Yeah, bingo. Yeah, well, hey, but, but the United States government would be... Sorry, go ahead, Alex. Well, what I was going to say is, you know, speaking of 9-11 families, I mean, who benefited the most? Pete Davidson. Uh, you know, that's a 9-11 family who benefited <laughs> the most from 9-11. From that's true. Yeah, you got Kim Kardashian out of it. So. Total Dude, he's deal. the number one comedian on SNL. It doesn't even make sense how popular and, and how much poon he slays. It does, doesn't even make physical sense. I mean, Kate Beckinsale, wow, she's way harder. She's got low self-esteem, though. Ariana she's Grande. dates weirdos. So do I. I know, but, I mean, she still can get, uh, you know, you sh- I don't care how low self-esteem Kate Beckinsale has. She can still get guys, you know, got it going on metaphorically. You know, I guess, I guess Pete Davidson does. But... You know, there's actually I've I've only met one guy, this guy Adam Goldman. You know, they call him Mersh. He has a show ROTC, but he told me he knew a, one nine eleven kid, and there was like a crop of nine eleven kids that like if you lost your parent in nine eleven, you probably got like kind of a check at an early age, and you kind of ended up getting in a lot of trouble, and they let you go because you know they kind of let you off on that trouble a lot, at least in his experience. And I can see I feel like Pete Davidson has that vibe. Because if you're a kid that you lost a parent nine eleven, no judge is gonna like put you in jail if you get caught with possession of weed or something. You know what I mean? Most people will have a lot of sympathy or extra sympathy, I think, if you're a victim of nine eleven, you know, being a family member of that. So what you're saying is Pete Davidson did nine eleven. Exactly. well, basically on purpose, knowing that he, yeah. he tricked his dad going into the towers, knowing that it would bring him fame and fortune. No, but to to, to be honest, though, about the families, it doesn't make sense either. Why were they not? They were all basically settled. And then the few families that didn't, they never even got a day in court. They never even got a day in court uh, against the Saudis. Uh, the official story is that, that, you know, what is it, 16 of the 19 or 18 hijackers were from Saudi Arabia. Uh, and, you know, we never got to sue Saudi Arabia, which we know that's not true. I'm just saying these people got no restitution for the ones they lost. That's probably one of the biggest travesties. And then all the cops going in there to save these people all get lung cancer like 10 years later. I mean, it's just such a nightmare, such a cluster of fuck, as I say. Agreed. Uh, I'm going to wrap this clip. And this is uh, O'Reilly and Geraldo rapping here. And this is the last of the clips I have of news people criticizing the conspiracy theories. But I thought Bill O'Reilly and... Uh, Geraldo were both like just total assholes the way they pr- 
would present this. The notion that the United States government would be so hideously manipulative that we would kill almost 3,000 of our own citizens as a pretext to going to war in Afghanistan. It is false on its face. It is uh, extremely insensitive. And if it weren't for the fact that they are sincere but misguided, I really would feel uh, even more emotional about it. But I think it is very, very uh, a negative vibe that uh, it's, it's one of these things like <laughs> Area 51 with the aliens in, uh, in New Mexico. No matter how you, you think, define you think it, they still believe it. Is, is uh, crazy? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Okay. I, I, you think I, he's crazy. I think that the right. I think that he has a, a trick gene or a screw loose. I think that he is an addictive personality, a wonderful actor. And listen, I you know uh, yeah, but he's hurting his career. Look, look Rosie O'Donnell's career is nowhere it's down a drain because of her radicalism. He's hurting his career now. <laughs> we get the the uh, clip of Bill O'Reilly's voicemail message, leaving about taking the shower. showers. Or what about Geraldo Rivera? What about Geraldo Rivera and all his sexual assault allegations? Yeah. Yeah, no. We should, should we talk about those with that with those guys? I wonder if they think those are all conspiracy theories. Well, hey, guys, we know the term conspiracy theorist was demonized by the CIA uh, in order to demonize people that were looking into the official story. And that psychological operation is incredibly strong. Like you say, conspiracy theorist, it is like one of the most derogatory things you can call. Uh, somebody like some pro masker. If you were to call them a conspiracy theorist, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. So it's it's like a poison. That term is such a triggering statement. It, it's uh, that's not an accident. And Bill O'Reilly's uh, coworker, um, Sean Hannity, goes on every night in front of a television camera and wears a CIA lapel pen on his suit. Dude, wait, Hannity like is tonight, the worst. You, Wait, you can watch Hannity, him tonight do that. The, wait, wait, say that again, Charlie. You're telling me the pin, he wears some pin for the CIA, Hannity does? Hannity, yeah. If you look, like, on on his left side, he'll have, like, you know, like, you put, like, a little American flag lapel pin. Um, sometimes he'll have two. The other one is a round one. It's the CIA's logo. It's not superimposed. It's not one picture. You can find it just about every night he wears it. I'm looking so, up right now. I can't believe he wears a. a has he sent oh, like yeah. a CIA pin on his lapel? And this is from 2019. Mm-hmm. What? Wow. The real question is yeah. Tucker part of it too, because he's pushing the Project Bluebeam thing hard. Because Hannity, Listen, we know, is total establishment. It, oh, yeah, dude. Uh, there's tons of pictures of him wearing the CIA pin. What in the world? He's wearing a Central Intelligence Agency pin. On his lapel. I mean, what is going on? I've never seen each other. This is, dude, this is blowing my mind because we know uh, uh, Operation Mockingbird, where they have a CIA agent in every form of broadcasting, whether it's radio, television, or film. I mean, dude, and he's like shilling for the CIA like that. Oh, my, that makes me sick. So it's just my point is that when these guys go on there and they're breathlessly grasping, you know, clutching their pearls and talking about how these. Charlie Sheen must be mentally ill. Maybe Charlie Sheen is mentally ill. Okay, I don't know. But the information that he was putting forth about 9-11 is totally anchored in actual reality. And it's not being run through a media filter. And and that makes guys like Bill O'Reilly and Geraldo Rivera completely uncomfortable because they're establishment cocksuckers. And they, they don't know how to behave outside of that 
world. So they have to tell their, you know, they have to uh, go to bat for their masters and say, oh, this is this is just it's it's embarrassing. And it's all this thing. No, it's not like if if we want to if it's we drag like the Geraldo embarrassing down thing Charlie Sheen has ever done is right. <laughs> the most embarrassing thing would be two and a half men. Yeah. Yeah. But he I mean, listen, when you've got a crack habit, two and a half men will finance that for you. So, dude, and we can yeah. make fun of two and a half men, but that was like the number one show for a long time. And he, you know, walked off it. I mean, obviously, he was probably cracked out. He was on Tiger Blood, this and that. Uh, but still, dude, you know, that show is like such a beast. I probably didn't. I don't think I ever really watched one full episode. Uh but I guess he did lose it all. It's kind of sad to see Charlie Sheen, what he is today. Now he's like an HIV um, positive shell of his former self. I don't know, man. I was banging seven gram rocks and finishing them because that's how I roll. I have one speed. I have one gear. Go. So we should. <laughs> <laughs> kind of dog is that? It's a, it's a Sheen dog. Uh, so we should. Uh, oh, by the before we get off Sheen, uh, just one last comment on him. Going back and listening to those interviews he did on Alex Jones show are wild because he's just going like, yeah, I'm sober. I'm sober, man. I'm totally sober. Like next, uh, it's like, I'll, I'll pee in a cup for you. Next one goes in your mouth or whatever. It's like, <laughs> you won't know you won't get high. <laughs> and he's just going on and on about tiger blood and stuff. And Alex is just going, oh, we love you, Charlie. And it's like, there's like two or three hours of that combined in the interviews and they're all just insane. No, those interviews are great. And then, like, Alex Jones talks about how, like, they they sit and go into his movie theater and watch Apocalypse Now. Yeah. So you know how cracked up they are, <laughs> cracked out, just ripping lines, watching old Charlie Sheen movies, talking about the New World Order. That would be probably one of the funniest rooms. I would love to be, you know, they say fly on the wall. Could you imagine in a yeah. room hanging out with Charlie Sheen and Alex Jones? That would be insane. And Willie Nelson and Jesse Ventura would be hanging with him, too, from time to time, from what I remember. Do we like Willie Nelson, though? I wonder what Willie Nelson's uh, is. I used to like him. I mean, he is cool. I, I mean, he's probably one of the coolest guys ever. I just wonder. I guess he's probably not. He's not too political. He didn't say vote for Joe. Or maybe he did say vote for Joe he's, Biden. He's pretty actually. He's pretty uh, safe politically. We'll put it that way. It's a nice way of putting it. But um, to, to, uh, to start breaking down the actual events of September 11th, I think is probably an important thing to do because – there are now people who are old enough to drink, well, almost old enough to drink, that weren't born on September 11th, 2001. Yeah, I know, dude. That's the biggest problem that we're facing. Now all these kids won't even know what happened. Like, yeah. dude, nobody even that's why cares we're doing about 9-11. Hello? So, yeah, I was saying that's why we're doing this. So, this, so let's... Uh, yeah, I know. Let, well, I'm saying, but that's the biggest problem. Like, like you know, 9-11 gets totally forgotten about, and they can compare January 6th to 9-11 because of that. So I guess it goes, there's a reason why I'm getting so fired up. It goes to, like, you know, our history is all fake because we don't even know. I mean, the people that are connected to 9-11, you try to tell it to a 21-year-old kid, they could, they have no emotional attachment. Like, they watched a video. They didn't see their mom cry or their dad cry. They weren't, like, you know under you know the the trauma-based mind control of the news so they just have a totally different connection to it uh so it's probably like this almost like not a big deal it's probably like something this like how i feel like the vietnam war wasn't that big a deal because i wasn't for it so it's really crazy how quick history can get be forgotten that's i guess that's what i'm really stunned about yeah well yeah. i can't have the same connection to jfk 
because I wasn't alive when JFK died. I can appreciate it. I can study it. I can try to understand it, but I'll never have that moment where everyone's like, I know where, you know, everybody knew where they were the day JFK got shot. And it's same with 9-11. And if you weren't alive or you were too young or, you, you know, then you just will never have that connection. My old ass was old enough that I was living with roommates in Manhattan Beach, California, and got woken up at like 6, 6.30 from one of my friends who who was staying with us that night. And he and one of my roommates were going to go to the airport that morning super early. And he's waking me up going, we're not going to the airport. And I was like, okay. And he's like, but you got to come out and see why. And I was like, oh shit. So, so, so I have that connection to it from, you know, living through it and watching it. But some somebody, some kid that's 18 right now, I can't expect him to to have that feeling, to know what it was like to sit there in front of your TV and just try to make sense of something that was like happening right in front of your eyes, like live, you know, it, it, it's I, I, they'll never be able to get the same feelings that I have. However, they, they, they can, if they choose to, they can get educated on it and they can understand it. And then they can drag that in and say, well, I might not have been alive during 9-11, but I'm alive during COVID and I'm starting to see some similarities between the, you know, between what these people talked about with 9-11 and what, um, what I'm currently living through with COVID. I think COVID is going to wake a lot of people up just like 9-11 woke a lot of people up and just like JFK woke a lot of people up. Like there's going to be some events where you just go, I'm sorry, this whole thing doesn't make any sense. The official story is nonsense. And, and if this is nonsense, what else is? And so they start, you know, it sends you down those rabbit holes. So, you know, I'm, Although I'm I'm upset, you know, I mean, I, it'd be better if all the younger generation, you know, really understood 9-11. Well, maybe this will help to wake them up or at least get them interested that there is a whole lot of misinformation and intentional disinformation surrounding this topic. And it's very important that people understand 9-11 because it'll help them for understanding COVID, too. Yeah, uh, I think COVID arguably woke up more people than any of the other events. Uh, probably on a, on a scale because it, it affected everyone's direct lives. It wasn't something that you could ignore. Uh, yeah, but you guys say that as well. Simultaneously, Tim Dillon, who knew nine eleven <laughs> is a, you know a fraud and all this stuff, is still getting triple vaccinated. So there's like still people that are awake that are like, yeah, I think I'm just gonna I'm gonna continue to get the bioweapon. You know, I'm gonna continue to uh, wear the mask or whatever rule. So it's funny how people can be awake. Why simultaneously being asleep to some stuff. So I, I guess what I'm trying to say is when I first started creating content, I, my, my goal was, Oh, I'm going to make, I'm going to wake people up. I'm going to, I'm going to be this vir- virtue signaling, you know, Oh, the, you know, nine 11 is an inside job. The moon landing's fake. You know, the, they're lying to us. You know, uh, the new world order is real. And then I realized nobody like wants to hear that because nobody, you know, everybody's got their own problems with their bills or their stress. Their girlfriend just dumped in. They got so many insecurities. They're not even trying to worry about, you know, who, who is causing the machinations of their trials and tribulations. Who are the social engineers that are doing it to them? They don't even want to figure it out. So it's like, I don't even know if we can wake people up unless they want to question the reality themselves. Like what we can do is not give them the information. We have to motivate them to look up the information on their own, which is tricky. But that's the only way. People have to be motivated to want to spend 
the five hours it takes to watch one documentary about 9-11 or, you know what I mean, or spend, you know, the, the hours of online research or, or reading, you know, Charlie's book or you have to be motivated to figure out what's really happening below the surface. Yeah. Yeah. And Charlie, I just realized I neglected to ask a really important question. Is there a, like, San Francisco beach in New York City? <laughs> no, <laughs> not that I know of. But there's a, because you said I was in Manhattan Beach in California. I was in Man Manhattan Beach, California, not Manhattan. The way that, the way that story started, I thought you were going to, it was like, I was there at the tower. I was in Manhattan no. Beach yeah. in California. I was like, okay. <laughs> You're uh, like, what? Not to backtrack too far. But, no. um. I, I don't know. Should we give a brief rundown of the official scenario of what happened? 19 hijackers yeah. uh, with box cutters in who came up with this plane in a cave, commandeered four airliners. Three of the four hit their targets. One was the Pentagon. But before the Pentagon was hit, the North and South Tower, WTC 1 and 2, I believe, were hit. And uh, they did it. It, and this part, I've not been able to verify, but I've seen it reported that three of those 19 hijackers turned out to be still alive after the fact. Muhammad, Muhammad Atta's dad said that you know his son was still alive after the fact, and that his son had nothing to do with it. Uh, you know, he was like adamant about saying that, and and the fact that they called Muhammad Atta the ringleader, which is so laughable, and like you forget about them. They that supposedly the official story is that in the car outside of I believe it was like the Boston Airport, I forget Logan Airport, I think it's what it's called. That you know they had like the Quran still opened up to some page in their car. Yet if you look at Muhammad Atta, he had a stripper girlfriend. He was like high on cocaine. They were in an, they were like living in Florida in South Florida. You know at this private airstrip, like whacked out on cocaine and alcohol. Not like a, a religious Muslim person would be. They would, I think that'd be called he'd be called a Harami. If you're a Muslim that drinks alcohol and uses cocaine, so dicks out for harami. Well, it's called a haram. I think is if you drink <laughs> if as a Muslim, and so these guys were supposedly drinking and getting wasted at these strip clubs. And but you can even look this up if you don't believe me. Muhammad Atta's stripper girlfriend. She, and, and as a matter of fact, she when she dumped him. This is why I hate this guy so much. He this is her story, and you know it gets lost in the woods. But he supposedly went over to her apartment, and she had a cat that they cut up the cat and left the parts all over the apartment. So, like, you know, these are evil people, and they all got passports. Uh, but are, are they, like, the masterminds? No. Did Tim Osman, uh, a.k.a. Osama bin Laden, who was a CIA asset, who, you know, we actually paid and gave money to to fight the Soviet Russians? In the like, 80s, did, he right? mastermind, did he mastermind all this? No, dude. The Mujahideen... You know, we like funded all these people, yet all of a sudden they're our uh, biggest enemy. It's it's just such laughable uh, nonsense when you look at it after the fact. Is this thing off? I guess we'll go next. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, um, so you have, uh, I mean, there's there's so much. I mean, you could you could do like a a 20 part series, you know, three hours a piece deconstructing, you know, in segments, nine 11, but just to hit some of the highlights was the, uh, the fact that they, the hijackers weren't, uh, filmed getting on the actual flights themselves or in the actual airports. Uh, and it wasn't until five years later, I believe that even like the first set of footage was revealed or re released of them, uh, with no time code on it, no timestamp. 
Um, and, and, you know, the only official footage of the first tower going in was shot by some firemen, uh, which is really kind of weird. Uh, that, like, that was the only the, the only footage of the first tower. And, like, you know, I'm I'm of the – you know, there's the people that believe in the direct energy weapon that there was no planes is how they brought down the tower. See, I don't believe that. I believe, you know, the towers were built – to come down and there's the Israeli art students on the 93rd floor. Like obviously I'm kind of, kind of getting ahead of myself. Um, but I do think something got flown into the tower. I, I believe that. Was it like an American airline plane? I don't think so. I think it was some sort of like military drone yeah. type plane, but I, I'd like to hear what you guys, what's your theory of, of I what think that's exactly, I think it was the drone drone jetliners, like in operation Northwoods, which you brought up earlier, Alex, it's a, uh, you, you uh, do a swap out, with an actual flight, have a lookalike drone. You have all these passengers landed into an area, have them call their loved ones under duress, and then just, you know, put two in the back of their head after they make those phone calls that supposedly took place from up in the plane at 30,000 feet. And then you have the drone jetliner lookalikes crash into the towers and then controlled demolition, the towers and building seven was just the bonus. Cause if there was a Manhattan operation, that was run out of there, it probably would have been Tower 7 since that had the NSA, uh, was it NSA, CIA, and FBI all in that building? Yeah, I mean, it was a command center basically for all those alphabet agencies, and it's exactly where Rudy Giuliani was supposed to be um, as his, like, mobile command center as the mayor. And that's another thing is, dude, the day of the attack, I don't know if you have this clip, but somebody can pull it up. They, They asked Donald Trump what did he think happened. And he said, oh, there had to be explosives because he talked about how strong the building was. Uh, and yep. yet you, Rudy Giuliani, who like we're talking about, you know, the Tower 7, he was supposed to be in. Dude, after the fact, him and Trump, if they were really on our side, why did they never blow the whistle on 9-11? Exactly. That just shows you, that shows you Trump's a vaccine salesman that does not have our back because both of them were directly they, – they, maybe Trump found after the fact, but they have direct knowledge of what brought down those towers in New York City. They're not, you know, little bitty school boys that don't know. You know, they're not uh, choir boys. Whatever the term is, they know exactly what happened on September 11th. So since you guys mentioned the flights being swapped out for drones, um, flight American Airlines 11 and United Airlines – 175 left Boston 14 minutes apart, both heading to Los Angeles, yet they went in two different directions. One went northwest, one went southwest, and they both miraculously crossed paths at the same time over Stewart Air Force Base, which is 60 miles north of Manhattan, became the only uh, U.S. commercial airport to be privatized when Governor Pataki sold the lease to a foreign company in 2000. So the transponders for flight 11 and 175 both turned off at 8.36 a.m. as they passed over Stewart Air Force Base. So if that answers your question as to how that could happen, how they could be landed and swapped out for different airplanes that started squawking the same codes, that's how it would happen. And and yep. my assumption is that it was, it's a little bit more than an assumption is that the planes that were flown into the towers were using the Boeing Huntingwell uninterruptible autopilot, which basically turns a plane into a drone. Now, they could have done that with any of these flights, but my assumption is that the planes that flew into the towers were drones. 
And the yep. reason why the technology is so important is they need that in case a pilot has a heart attack on a plane or something, then they could land it. So it's like you want to ha- you want to be able to have that where you could just take over an airplane for safety reasons. Um, but obviously it can be used for sinister reasons like making a plane fly into a building or, you know, make it look like it's a bomb. I mean, there's just a lot of things that they can do with that technology. That's and they've sinister. had the technology since the 60s, at least. Yeah. Um, I found that clip you're talking about, Alex. I think this is it. Probably the best known builder, uh, particularly of, of, of great buildings in the city. There's a great deal of question about whether or not the damage and, and the ultimate destruction of the buildings was caused by the airplanes, by architectural defect, or possibly by bombs or, or aftershocks. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, it was an architectural defect. You know, the World Trade Center was always known as a very, very strong building. Don't forget, that took a big bomb in the basement. Now, the basement is the most vulnerable place because that's your foundation. And it withstood that. And I got to see that area about three or four days after it took place because one of my structural engineers actually took me for a tour because he did the building. And I said, I can't believe it. The building was standing solid and half of the columns were blown out. I mean, so this was an unbelievably powerful building. Uh, If you know anything about structure, it was one of the first buildings that was built from the outside. The steel, the reason the World Trade Center had such narrow windows is that in between all the windows, you had the steel on the outside. So you had the steel on the outside of the building. That's why when I first looked, and you had big, heavy I-beams. When I first looked at it, I couldn't believe it because there was a hole in the steel. And this is steel that was, you remember the, the width of the windows of the World Trade Center, folks. I think, you you know, if you were ever up there, they were quite narrow. And in between was this heavy steel. I said, how could a plane, even a plane, even a 767 or 747 or whatever it might have been, how could it possibly go through the steel? I happen to think that they had not only a plane, but they had bombs that exploded almost simultaneously because I just can't imagine anything being able to go through that wall. Most buildings are built with the steelers on the inside around the elevator shaft. This one was built from the outside, which is the strongest structure you can have. And it was almost just like a uh, like a can of soup. You know, Donald, we were. Look- you know that his argument. I don't think there is. I mean, it's the day of nine eleven as Trump's being interviewed, but the argument is not very sound that he made there. That the the plane sh- would just not even be able to penetrate the building. I don't think that's the case. Yeah, I don't know though. I mean, dude, if you look at a plane right now, you need and obviously this audio only. But if you look at a plane getting hit with a bird, if it just lands in front of a bird hitting a nose of the cone of an airplane, it just totally de- demolishes the cone. Have you seen the picture? Do you know the picture that I'm talking about? Yeah. So, so what I'm saying is, I'm not. I don't know if it. They they give us the picture that it went in there like almost like a needle going in an arm, like it just went right in. I don't. I don't think it would go in like that. I do think that the building would. I mean, of course, some of it would go in because it's two like immovable things smashing, you know, yeah. whatever the the term is. But at the same time, how it like went through, and then on the exact other side, there was like a, a, a shape of the no the co the nose cone shape coming out of the building at the exact you know uh, spot where the plane went in is so laughable, and there that are doesn't a, even make sense to me. There are a couple close up frame by frames of right before the plane makes contact, you see what looks like a missile come out of the plane and and hit the building. Um, well, ex- exactly. I mean, uh, like the the. I mean, I'm not a bomb or missile expert, but 
when you look at the way the wings... I thought that's why I had you on here, man. (laughs) And uh, I'm a bomb expert. I apologize. But, dude, it's just the way it sliced into that metal. I mean, I don't know. It's just very... It didn't. It doesn't have. Um, I guess what. What am I trying to say? I don't know exactly. Know what it, 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 it. It would look like, but there's there's videos where they uh, like have like a plane, but it's on the ground. It's not in the air, and they smash that into a wall. And the plane does smash like a coke can. So I don't know. It's just it's just weird. I don't know what it exactly would look like if you fly. It kind a plane. of. It, it kind of looks like when Wiley Coyote is running, chasing the Roadrunner, <laughs> and he kind of goes in, and it just leaves it like a, an outline yeah. of where he was, because yeah. it did leave that, and and that the plane did make an unusual. You know, I mean, well, the whole thing was unusual about the the two hundred. You know, like the 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 way the planes were brought in on, I guess if you'd say final approach to the buildings, it was, it was conducting maneuvers that a lot of pilots said were not possible that they, that they're, they're talking about how they've flown planes for years and years. In some cases like captain Russ Wittenberg talking about flying those same exact planes and he's saying i can't make those moves you can't make those moves the guy flying that can't make those moves it was remote controlled and these are guys yeah, they, that can't they, even fly a single engine cessna making these oh yeah maneuver. they didn't even they supposedly didn't even know want to know how to land it but it's called vmr i think velocity maximum rate and these planes are supposed to be going 500 miles an hour at incredibly low of altitude and they can't even test it at that speed at that low because it's too much pressure on the, the frame of the airplane. The whole thing so starts like, falling apart. Exactly. It would split like a banana almost. So that's like it, it doesn't really make sense that they was able to go that fast. But that if you had low. a super unmanned, super reinforced, high-tech uh, drone jet airliner, then that might be a different story for being able to handle yeah. those speeds. Yeah, and I mean, guys, like that's a huge thing. The military-industrial complex, I guess, benefited the most from this. But, dude, we have all this stuff they tell you. And while I'm a real conspiracy theorist, I don't believe like the nuclear weapon is exactly what they say it is. But I guess what I'm saying is we have – there is military weaponry we have no idea about. Like, you know, they try to say that they have this bomb that can blow up the world ten times over. But they do probably have planes and drones and bombs – that look like a plane. I'm saying of the crazy stuff they try to scare us with, I don't think a lot of that is true. But to have a plane, like what happened on 9-11, I think that's very possible and very doable. And that's why they did it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I get suspicious of like dragonflies and certain and like certain little insects around me. I'm like, is this a Bill Gates mosquito that just landed on me? Is this a robot? They, they have that, dude. They I think they already put them out in, in Florida. They released 300 million of them in fucking Florida, dude. That ain't too far. They could have got here by now. Oh, dude, those weren't robots, but they were GMO mosquitoes. But yeah, I mean, uh, you got to think about that kind of stuff. Uh, While we're still on the uh, the the towers one and two before we get to seven in the Pentagon, um, I pulled this clip from the uh, September 11th, the new Pearl Harbor. This is maybe one of the key motivations as to why towers one and two were chosen as targets right here. The rising cost of energy had made it extremely expensive to keep the buildings warm in winter and cool in summer. General maintenance was also very expensive compared to buildings from more recent years. In his 1999 book on the Twin Towers, Divided We Stand, author Eric Darton wrote, When the World Trade Center was bombed in February 1993, it was already passing its prime as office space. 
overtaken by a generation of more recent, cybernetically smart buildings with higher ceilings and greater built-in electrical capacity. To maintain the Trade Center as Class A office space commanding top rents, the Port Authority would have had to spend $800 million rebuilding its electrical, electronic communications, and cooling systems. But the biggest problem with the Twin Towers was the large amount of asbestos they contained. Built in a time when the use of asbestos was still allowed in civil construction, at least 400 tons of this extremely dangerous material had been used to fireproof the steel structure of the buildings and to insulate hundreds of miles of pipings for water, heating, and air conditioning. Asbestos was also present in the ceiling panels, the elevator shafts, and the vinyl tiles from office floors. From a property condition assessment of the Twin Towers dated December 2000, we read, According to Port Authority records, a total of 7 million square feet of vinyl asbestos floor tiles were installed in the World Trade Center. By the time asbestos was banned from civil construction, the Twin Towers were nearing their completion. Initially, the asbestos was encapsulated wherever possible to prevent the particles from being inhaled. But in the 1990s, the regulations grew tighter, and every time a simple renovation was needed, the complete removal and replacement of the asbestos was also required. At the same time, because of the health risk it posed, the cost of asbestos removal and abatement had been skyrocketing. Safety procedures required the areas to be treated to be vacated in advance, hermetically sealed, and kept under negative pressure at all times to prevent particles from escaping outside. Only specialized workers could access the area, wearing airtight suits and respirators. A full decontamination process was required every time they left the area. At the estimated cost of 5 to $6 per square foot, that accounted for an additional $20 million in cost for the Port Authority, and that was for the floor tiles only. There were also hundreds of thousands of square feet of spray-on fireproofing to be removed throughout both buildings. Reportedly, by the year 2000, the Port Authority was looking at an asbestos abatement bill of as much as $1 billion, the same money it would have cost to build a brand new tower. Back in the 90s, the Port Authority had sued the insurance companies, trying to get them to cover the cost of the asbestos removal. But in May 2001, four months before the terrorist attack, the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey lost their 10-year-old court battle. At that point, the Port Authority was between a rock and a hard place. The Twin Towers could no longer be maintained without incurring the cost of asbestos removal, yet they could not be demolished because of the large amounts of asbestos they contained. The only remaining option was to dismantle and remove the two poison-filled giants one piece at a time. But the cost of such an operation would have been so astronomical that no one has ever tried to put a number on it. Well, if that is a motivation for picking those two buildings, or if that's not a motivation, I don't know what is. Because that's like... I mean, that blew my... I didn't know about that. I was like, holy shit. The irreparable asbestos, I mean, that is a huge smoking gun. And then you look at who took over the lease, uh, Lucky Larry Silverstein, who from the insurance settlement uh, benefited twice because it was considered two terror attacks, according uh, to the court, uh, to the civil, I guess, the litigation, whatever ended up happening. He benefited twice, getting uh, nearly $6 billion. Uh, and he got and another $800 million to rebuild Tower 7, even though it was only worth $400 million. You got I mean, you got to love. They call that, uh, you know, lucky Larry Silverstein for a reason. I mean, he's he's the only guy. I think he owned the building less than a year, and he benefited billions. He owned of it dollars. for seven weeks. Yeah, yeah. seven two, weeks. Two months, I mean, much. dude, what? I mean, uh, that's ridiculous. And, and he and put out he, the 
he put out the uh, the insurance claim was in case in case of total destruction was the legalese in that insurance claim. I mean, in and, case and of building- total destruction, he gets you know this much money. I mean, that's crazy. And then we got to talk about you know it fell in two thousand one. It was erected in uh, nineteen sixty nine or nineteen sixty eight. So it's thirty. Excuse me, nineteen sixty eight. So it's thirty three years. And uh, you know the Rockefellers, I believe they built those towers knowing they were to come down in some sort of ritualistic sacrifice. Uh, to I guess having a, a sacrifice, a ritualistic sacrifice into the new world order, and I know that's tinfoil hat crazy, but that's that's where I'm at. Like, why I really not? Agree. And just load it up with extra asbestos if you know they're going to come down, because then you can poison most of Manhattan. I mean, something like that. I mean, dude, when you look at the Israel, like I said earlier, the Israeli art students, New York City has the highest real estate in the world, the most expensive apartments. You got to pay like. Three thousand dollars for three hundred square feet, or whatever it is, it's something stupid. Yet these Israeli art students were able to live in one of the most secure buildings in Manhattan for free, and like have a, you know a floor to themselves, extra room, a football field of space to live in and operate. Like nothing makes sense. And are these the, the same? That- uh, are these? Is this any relation to the Mossad agents that were on Israeli TV later saying that they were there to quote observe the event? On September well, different are, batch. Those are the dancing Israelis. Those are the ones that were watching, supposedly across the street. Yet, if you look up the B thing, that is like their artistic pro, uh, project where they took out a pane of, of uh, glass and they put a balcony, like a makeshift wooden balcony, and then they paid a helicopter to fly around the building and take pictures of people. If you look at that, supposedly in the footage of that, you can see, I think, one of the same Israeli dancing Israelis, supposedly. Now they, you know, it's hard to tell because you're watching like a video of the B thing and it's shot like in the, in, you know, the like late 90s. So the, you know, footage is kind of grainy. You can't tell who is who. But dude, just the fact that they had free roam and I visited the World Trade Center, you know, before it came down as a kid, it was like such high security just to go to the top floor. It was a big deal. It doesn't even make sense that, you know, people could just walk around there and live willy nilly on watch. I mean, the whole story is really laughable. Uh, but before we get off, Silverstein, are we kind of in agreement that what happened was um, maybe the feds came to him and said, look, we know you're uh, a real estate guy. How about you buy these buildings? You can make an insurance claim, blah, blah, blah. And then we need a terrorist attack to happen. And these two buildings were great. You pocket the money. It'll be mutually beneficial. Like, how did this happen? Because, like, he wasn't I don't think he was the mastermind, Silverstein. But it, he definitely played a major role in the uh, in the entire uh, Manhattan thing. No, well, I'm guessing think- he probably owed money to some sort of insurance company or to Israel or somebody. Like, like I said, I don't think he was the mastermind, but he was chosen. He didn't he didn't get to decide anything. Like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna benefit from this. They knew it was gonna. Be, in my opinion, they knew it was gonna be an insurance scam where that money that Larry Silverstein got goes to some sort of bigger conglomerate. Like I said, we build the new One World Trade Center. It's going to, even though it says it's Larry Silverstein, he's just the front man for some sort of, for something else. What that is, I don't know. But it didn't, obviously he didn't get all that money and doesn't control. He might give us the illusion that it does. But it's kind of like Robert Maxwell, Ghislaine Maxwell's dad. Like he was a Mossad agent. These people are given, you know, when he didn't have any money, supposedly any real money. Like that's what the reason they killed him is that he said he was needed money and he was going to black. He tried to blackmail the Mossad and say, hey, I, I know what you're doing. And that's supposedly why they killed Robert Maxwell. 
So I guess what I'm saying is Jeffrey Epstein, I mean, excuse me, Larry Silverstein is just going to go along with <laughs> or the it. Steens. He's not going to, yeah, I'm getting all the Steens and I'm a Stein myself. I'm saying I'm getting everybody <laughs> mixed up, but he's going to go along with it. He doesn't know uh, probably what the whole plan is. He might know that they're going to come down, but uh, he's just a pawn in the big scheme of things is what I'm trying to say. He knows to book a dermatology appointment for that morning. <laughs> he knows that much. He's and, and, and everybody got that. Everybody got a text supposedly. Well, I His hate wife, that people yeah. say, oh, oh, you know, it, you know, everybody wants to say Israel did 9-11. And I really do think that they were obviously they benefited the most from it. And you look at Larry Silverstein's, you know, uh, you know, obviously a big time Jewish guy. Seinfeld. Out of it. Yeah, Larry I mean, David. It's, it, it's just hard. It's hard. Uh, that's the worst part of the, the conspiracy world, though, is that like. You know, everything is the Jewish Illuminati and that, you know, everybody, you know, like it goes into the Holocaust denial. And listen, I think there's some weird stuff with WW2. But at the end of the day, it's kind of hard not to feel that way when you look at Israel benefited so much from now that never any war in, uh, in the Middle East. It's hard not to feel that way, I guess. I think it's important. If I think for some people, it, it can be important to differentiate between Israel, Judaism, and Zionism because you're Jewish, right? Because they're different things. And when you, you know, if, if I were to say, if I were to classify and I do to classify nine 11 as a Zionist operation, that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm saying that it is entirely a Jewish operation. And it certainly has nothing to do with the religion. Zionism is in a the political same- designation. Yeah, in the same like way the, that like Black Lives Matter doesn't represent every African American, Zionism doesn't correct. represent every Jew. Yeah, correct. I think that and goes you don't saying, have to be but... Jewish. You don't have to be Jewish to be a Zionist because I've got Joe Biden on record saying saying you don't have to be Jewish to be a Zionist. I'm a proud Zionist. You know, so it's a it's an ideology. And when you look back and people go, well, who did 9-11? Well, you if you want to just throw out like a broad reference, you would say Zionists. But if you want to break that down even further, it's American Zionists too. You know, it's not just Israeli Zionists, because if you look at the project for a new American century, most of the people on that list are Americans and most of those people are Zionists and they're, but and dual citizens, of course, on top of that. So it's not necessary. It's not a Jewish thing. It's a Zionist thing, which gets conflated in, by, you know, especially when people want to conflate it. They want to just try and discredit you and say, oh, you're just anti-Semitic. It's like it has nothing to do with that. If you can put that off to the side and and be intellectually honest about it and have the discussion, we talk about a political designation. It's 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 really no different than American Zionists, you know, like all those guys on that PNAC list. um, you can find them all being on record as being Zionists. So it's it's a it's an ideology, not a religion. And once you take so if you take the religion component out of it, that that diffuses part of the bomb because a lot of people want to like scream at you and say, oh, you're anti-Semitic and everything. It's like it doesn't have anything to do with that. You'll never be able to see past that because you don't want to see past that. But if we're going to be honest about it. You want to talk about the common thread who benefits qui bono? Well, of course, Israel benefits. <laughs> they're no. in a they're in a region where they're surrounded by people that want to kill them, right? 
it, so yeah. when we get involved and we're able to destabilize the Middle East and break up their biggest enemies and 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 they they come out with the list of seven countries in five years and we've run through that list except for Iran, like there's What's reason the to believe. Yeah, exactly. The Wesley Clark uh, Democracy Now! talk. So th- this is, you know, it's reasonable to start analyzing this and saying who benefits military industrial complex benefits. Is that Israel? No, it's not. Is that Zionist? No, but they benefit. They don't have to be Zionist. They want any war. They benefit from it. So so it, it once people can kind of like get out of the religious component of it and stop making it about like Judaism, which it's not, it was never about that and start talking about who, you know, who the group is that's really involved in this, then you can actually get somewhere. But until that happens, then, then you're just, you're just trying to tiptoe around something because you know that it's like a, it's like a verbal landmine. God forbid you say anything that's critical of, of somebody that's Jewish, then they'll call you. I mean, it, it it's turned into a really actually quite effective uh, defense tactic to get you to stop talking about anything. So it, Look what it, they it did serves its purpose. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but it is, it is always good to have that disclaimer in there. Yeah, but you know, it's, it's funny. Jews. It's funny that they do that to Whoopi now. Yeah, I think it's really funny they did that to Whoopi now, but yet her name is Whoopi Goldberg, a fake <laughs> name, because she wanted to be more accepted by Jewish people. So it's like she and she said she's like a fake Jew Ooh. before and she and she's with Ted Danson doing blackface. It's kind of funny what they pick to cancel you for this day and age. Um, but no, I think Charlie said it 100 percent right. It's like. Listen, I, I'm not even uh, my last name Stein. Everybody thinks I'm a Jew, and like in the conspiracy world, like oh, don't listen to him; he's Jewish Illuminati. So I get like where people get a little too deep into the woods. But like you said, this is a Zionism deal. This is like Israeli dominance over the world, and all you got to do is look at Trump letting Jared Kushner basically sell out our country for Israel the past uh, four years that he was in, in the White House, and Joe Biden's whole administration, you know, will sell us out for Israel. The only people that won't, are supposedly the squad. Or like Elon Omar and AOC, because I guess the war on terror probably affected them personally. So, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is you look at the project for a new American century. Joe Biden signed it knowing we're going to destabilize these seven countries. And then 20 years later, he takes the troops out in this like embarrassing fashion, basically symbolizing, I think, kind of the end of his crappy plan of like, uh, you know, American Zionism, exactly like Charlie said. And I guess now it's the the new terrorist is the one on our home soil. That's why they ended that um, psychological operation of the Muslim terrorists, in my opinion. This has been Jew Talk on Abs and a Six Pack, brought to you by Hummus and Ricky's Kosher Beef. Jews rock! I love Jews! Oh, you're Jewish, right? All right. Uh, well, he hasn't put that warning, dude. You're going to get, they're going to come and cancel you. I That's the Jews. only people you can't talk about. Have you heard this, the full version of this clip? Well, it's not the full version, but Alex Jones asking the guest if he's Jewish. No. Oh, you're Jewish, right? Uh, I'm actually, I'm actually not. I, I'm, I'm raised Roman Catholic, but I, I have a great affinity for Jewish people in Israel. You're gay. That's oh. what it is. Is that, is that really the audio? That's not the real audio. That's the real yeah, unedited yeah. audio where he's like, thought a guy was Jewish, but then he goes, oh, you're gay. That's what it was. <laughs> Amazing. And the guy was gay, and the guy yeah. was gay. He thought oh, he was a man. Jew, but he was actually gay. Easy mistake, I guess. Oh.
See, well, that happened. What a national Alex treasure, Jones. Alex is. We, yeah, we need that. Like we need. Don't, we don't deserve him. He's, <laughs> nah, he's too really good don't. for us. And that's when uh, the internet died. I think when they kicked him off in like 2016 or 2017, whatever it was. I mean that that was like I guess just a foreshadowing of what's happening now. But seriously, the internet died. I used to watch Infowars all day long on YouTube, and it was the best. And now YouTube, I can't finally, I can't hardly find any good but content. Now, you, don't you have a channel on Bandot Video, Alex? I do, and Bandot Video is great, and YouTube's great too, and Bandot Video is great. But dude, even that, like, it's still, it's just not the same. YouTube was good because yeah. you had the comment section, you had the yeah, chat. True. Like, it's not, dude. You can try to recreate it, but there's a reason why. Listen, I hate Facebook, but there's a reason why like Facebook is effective. It's just where people want to meet or people want to use YouTube. And I tell them, hey, that's go where to people Odyssey. over the age of fifty-five want to meet these days. Well, you can send all these people to all these different places, but a lot of them just want to use like what they're familiar with. So that's what sucks about this censorship, and it sucks that Alex yeah. Jones is robbed from us from so many good people because YouTube is such a a generic platform. And once they eliminate you from that, I mean, it's like being out of the Apple iStore. I mean, you're just it's very easy to do the Orwellian 1984 cancel you and you vanish to the dark web. Ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, well, wrapping up on tower one and two, unless anybody has anything real important, uh, you want to play the infamous pullet clip? Yeah. Cause this is, I mean, everybody, and I've seen this one be explained away. Well, I'll, 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 I'll bring it up after that. Play the clip. Pelted by debris when the North Tower collapsed, seven burned until late afternoon, allowing occupants to evacuate to safety. I remember getting a call from the uh, fire department commander telling me that they were not sure they were going to be able to contain the fire. I said, you know, we've had such terrible loss of life. Maybe the smartest thing to do is, is pull it. Uh, and they made that decision to pull. And then we watched the building collapse. Now, I've seen this. People explain this way. But pull it means pull the police and firefighters away from the building. That's what he meant by pull it. Nope. It makes no that sense that way. Though. Not a term. Yeah. But pull it is a... Uh, demolition term yep i got into the demolition process when writing controlled demolition of the american empire with jeff berwick because we were making the comparison between the way you would de demolish an actual building and how you would take down an, an empire and so what i had to do is i had to learn the process and what they go through for taking down a building and the term pull it is in there <laughs> that is one of the terms yeah. that they use so now how, you're, you're, you're bringing it down. How cool would it be if one of the most corrupt institutions, insurance companies, had blown the lid off 9-11 because they what if they got pissed off that they had to pay out Silverstein all this money and all this for all three towers? And they were like, fuck they this guy, let's expose that. him. Because yeah, Hank Greenberg's in charge of it, AIG. No, and another he's in the club. It's the Bergs and Steins, man. They're yeah, I mean they're they're never gonna they're never gonna cook their goose because they like, don't care about losing that money. They know they're gonna make it up ten times on other stuff. That's what. Or, or like you said, it goes back into the pot. You know, they, oh, what yeah, are you gonna 100%. do? You pay out six billion to Larry Silverstein, and then that money find you know, from AIG, which is Israeli controlled, and, and then that money finds its way right back into the pot. <laughs> you know, it's like why they don't why why like it doesn't matter if the media is losing money 
because it's a loss leader. It's fine. Well, and I'd like to get your opinion on this. You know, everybody says Donald Trump is so rich. But, dude, the guy has to go. I, I saw him on Christmas. I think it was like the day before Christmas. Uh, First Baptist Church paid him to come and speak at the church. And, like, it was the most fake thing in the world. You know, it looked like the, the lightning was going to strike Trump. But I guess what I got the impression was that Trump is almost like a slave. Like, you know, they, they got into the there. Then he has to go. Every single day, Trump has this uh, schedule that is grueling. He's always in planes. He's always flying. You know, he's always doing this. If I was a rich multi-billionaire, the last thing I'd want to do is be going to people and, and being like a dog and pony show for all these priests and all these different churches and all these different like political action committees. So I guess in my mind, like a real rich person would have power over their life to do whatever they want. I don't think Donald Trump has that power. Uh, and like, be nice. I'm saying once you get this big, dude, you just go where people tell you and that's that, there's nothing free about that at all. Like Donald Trump, he gives us the illusion that he's got it going on, but like his life is this, it's a scheduled nightmare. He gets to play golf. That's why I think he plays so much golf is that's the only time he's probably not getting dragged to some meeting or having getting paid by some donor to take a picture with. These people so, are crazy. So I'm, I pulled up this part in my, in my octopus book. It says Silverstein, Silverstein's company, Silverstein properties, global control. The Octopus of Global Control. Buy it now, wherever books are available. Um, bought the 99-year lease on buildings that were filled with asbestos a mere 49 days before the terrorist attacks. But luckily, lucky for him, he had the foresight to insure them specifically against terrorism. Um, in case you were wondering, Larry Silverstein is alive today because he coincidentally didn't show up for his strict daily routine of breakfast at Windows of the World, followed by... Um, heading down to his office, he explained that he had a dermatologist appointment that morning that luckily kept him away from the building. Larry Silverstein's two children, Roger and Lisa, also worked in the towers, but how fortunate for them that they too were, quote, running late and were not in the building when it collapsed. Larry's publicist, Howard Rubenstein, was also, quote, running late that day. But it is all probably another coincidence. Yep. Bam, you nailed it. And Seth MacFarlane, too, missed his flight. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Mark Wahlberg missed his flight. All these people missed their flight. All yeah, that's what I was chasing. saying, dude. Like, <laughs> if think about if if Seth and Mark, Seth MacFarlane and Marky Mark would have made their flights, dude, we wouldn't have never had to see Ted 2. Ted, yeah, you wouldn't have seen Ted 2. Yeah. That's true. Was Ted 1 good, though? Is that the joke? Because Ted 1 was kind of good. I mean, it wasn't great, but it was better than Ted 2. We'll put it that way. (laughs) I I didn't see Ted 2. I think I saw part of Ted 1. To be honest, I love Family Guy. I think that that was a good show. I used to watch it. I don't watch it anymore. But Seth MacFarlane sucks now. Where's my buzzer? Looking for my buzzer noise. Well, that's a good thing about the coronavirus is it kind of showed you which celebrities really suck extra bad. Wait, say yeah. you like Family Guy again real quick? I love Family Guy. Ha! Gay! <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. It is a little gay to like Family Guy this day and age. But The, the best thing that came out of Family Guy was the two-part South Park episode that ripped on Family Guy. That was awesome. That <laughs> where they made fun of Family Guy, that was one of the best ever. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you just grew up watching Peter and Stewie Griffin and yeah. all those stupid things. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I liked Family Guy when TV. I was a kid. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing. And, and I don't even know what people watch this day and age. Like, the TV just sucks. I mean, I don't know what shows. 
I don't know. I don't watch any like uh, sitcoms anymore. I don't know what if you guys watch any situational comedies or like TV shows. South Park and I, Always Sunny, and even those are going downhill. Those are my only two. Yeah, I watched. was this last season of It's Always Sunny good? I didn't watch one episode of it. It was pretty good, but um, not to get off in the TV review. I didn't mean to derail us into TV review shows, but it was pretty good. It was all right. I'd watch it. Well, we'll get. We'll talk about that after. I'm going to go watch it. I guess it just sucks. Like after it's a good. This does relate to 9/11 though. Before 2001, if you look at like, or excuse me, not before, but you look at the movies of 2000, uh, the 90s, like 94 through 98, it's like Shawshank Redemption, American Pie, like all these movies that last the test of time. And now all the movies today, because they're all like CIA propaganda bullcrap that has to have some sort of intersectional transgender, you know, Chinese character as the lead main character, uh, no more good movies comes, can't. Comes out anymore, so I think that's kind of where we're at. Like, why there's no good content to watch? Yeah, and to, to tie it into uh, 9/11, I think the most controversial joke Family Guy ever did was a 9/11 joke. I can't remember if they apologized for it. Uh, what was the joke? To. What was it? I can't. I don't. I I've read an article about it, Hold but it. I don't remember the joke. I wonder if it was the one where Lois just gets up in front of a crowd and goes nine eleven, and then the whole audience like erupts in applause, standing ovation. But I don't know if that was it because that didn't seem that controversial. But there was. It was in the news. You know, it was in the news. Um, I haven't been monitoring the chat as well as I should, but uh, Servo brought up a while back the uh, the Russian suitcase nuke theory in the sewers below the. Uh, below the buildings. I do like the nukes below the towers. And there was something with a bunch of, uh, like gold reserve below the towers. Was yeah. that true? That was tower six. Oh, tower. Six. Yeah. That was in the basements of tower six that they found d- like d- a dump truck that was like loaded up with gold and it, yeah. it, it got stuck. It couldn't get over this beam had collapsed as, as as it was on its way out and and it it led them to believe that others had made it out and that this one couldn't get out and they left it what was the gold well, from it, though like where um it was from oh fuck i've got it somewhere in my book um it was being held it was the a, jew gold it was it was being it was from the nazis i don't know um no it was it was being held on behalf of foreign countries in the basement um, of Tower Six, in a vault. Um, well, that's in, you know that's important, Charlie. Because listen, after the '93 bomb, you know when they, you know Trump was talking about it, a lot, a lot of the tenants left, and the only people that actually stayed were people that had specialty vaults, like the banks and the companies that just had specialty vaults that didn't want to move their stuff. So it's just kind of crazy that the 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 only thing like left after ninety three was all this expensive gold and you know basically yeah. stuff that would be you know held in a vault. So speaking of that, let's let's I'll rattle off the tenant list of Building Seven, the next door neighbor building that may or may not have had a vault down below as well. So they had in the forty seven story building that went down at free fall speed that was not hit by an airplane. Um, Solomon Smith Barney. American Express, Standard Charter Bank, Provident Financial Management, ITT Hartford Insurance Group, First State Management Group, Federal Home Loan Bank, NAIC Securities, right? So nothing nothing that unusual there. Then you go down to Securities and Exchange Commission, Mayor's Office of Emergency Management that was conveniently left uh, with doors wide open uh, um, and hot coffee still there. According to um, 
eyewitnesses. Uh, the United States Secret Service is in Building 7. The Internal Revenue Service is in Building 7. And, in case all that wasn't enough, the Central Intelligence Agency. New York office. Woo! Yeah, that's uh, that's a who's who of assholes right there. That's it. So... Um, now, one thing we probably should have talked about up front, I don't think anybody mentioned it, was prior to any of the towers being hit or the planes being allegedly hijacked, there were war games scheduled for that day of a bunch of fake hijackings where planes would crash into things. Yes. Dude, and, and that confused and this the is shit she- out of uh, everybody, and it had a bunch of jets unavailable to be scrambled up in Canada and Alaska, and nobody could... Like, you can hear them on the radio, like, uh, a plane uh, has been hijacked when you jet scrambled or a plane just hit, you know, uh, the World Trade Center and the people are going, is this real or is this an exercise? Is this a war game? And it's confused the shit out of everybody. Dude, that is that audio is probably like some of the most mind boggling audio that you'll listen to because it'll just like rattle you to your core. Because for me, I guess when I first heard that air traffic controller say that, they're like, is this real or a drill? You're like, why would they be running these drills with all these NORAD, uh, you know, d- defense techniques for a drill when they could have rallied these planes and actually stopped, uh, uh, you know, supposedly stopped these planes from hitting these buildings? So it's like, dude, what a joke! This is such. This is so. Uh, uh, what it, do they call that? Bait and switch. Big time, and it creates an immediate contradiction with what Condoleezza Rice and Donald Rumsfeld and these guys said later, which was. No one could have imagined a scenario. We had no idea that terrorists would hijack planes and crash them into buildings, even though they were warned about that by intelligence from other countries that that would happen. And even though they were running the war games of that happening on that day, then they turn around and say, well, no one would have ever imagined this would happen. Well, and even if it's report well, titled. Say this, I just, say this. You, you, well, just, just to match what exactly what you said, because that even the official story is that they had prior knowledge and that they just disregarding it. They disregarded it thinking it wasn't that serious. So it's like even the official story that they had prior knowledge and didn't act. So it's like whether whether you want to be a conspiracy theorist or not, they did 9-11. They're responsible for 9-11. They could have stopped it. They could have brought attention to it and didn't. So in essence, they kind of like it's like a lie by omission. They let it happen by omitting uh, protecting us. The, the report that Condoleezza Rice put on George W. Bush's desk was bin Laden determined to strike inside America. <laughs> so yep. it wasn't like there was any sort of like that was what it was named. So like they're they're like, we had no idea that anything like this could happen. First of all, it didn't happen like yeah. that. You're right. It didn't happen. Condoleezza Rice is technically telling the truth there. We had no idea something like this would happen. Well, yeah, and it still didn't happen the way you say it happened. But and while we're focusing you, on last names, I was shocked to find out that Condoleezza was not Asian. A, bad, a very, bad very surprising. Bad joke. Very surprising. Oof. I'll give myself a buzzer. Yeah, yeah no. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> it, not to jump all the way too far ahead, but another thing that really bothered me that I wasn't aware of or at least forgot about until recently watching the uh, the new Pearl Harbor was Rumsfeld fumbling around on the lawn of the Pentagon after the plane hit instead of acting as Secretary of Defense and figuring out what the hell was going on. Well, they couldn't reach him. It's they a, were yeah, trying to reach him. So he, he was needed out to on make the lawn. Him, yes. Yeah, it, he was dude, picking he, up. 
picking up a piece of metal that was probably dropped from an airplane. That is such a joke. Like, why would Donald Rumsfeld, even in that serious situation, he he would never be the person that goes outside to pick no. up the shrapnel. That's just pure mockery. But he, he needed, needed to be, to be somewhere. Yeah, he needed to be out of the loop. He needed to be unreachable, but he needed to be visible and unreachable, and therefore he was. And then they had the whole chain of command where you had like two guys in key positions where it was their first day on the job, which mm-hmm. is hard to believe that was an accident. And then Dick Cheney's timeline is just completely all over the place. His to his to this day, he his timeline, the story he told, and then the story he told, you know. 15 years later, still contradicts hit the timeline that places Cheney where they place Cheney in the 9-11 commission, which is just insane. And then uh, what's the guy's name that uh, Norman says, Mineta. Uh, yeah, Mineta. Yeah. The, the orders still stand. Of course, the orders still stand. Yes. And dude, that is so sketchy. Like, why would the guy be coming in there saying to the orders still stand if the orders weren't to stop this plane from hitting a building. Like you could tell the anxiety that Norman Mineta felt from that soldier or whoever was giving them the message that it affected Norman Mineta. Cause he said it, like he said in front of Congress, uh, probably what you weren't supposed to say. So it's like so obvious that there is running a different mission in front of all these other people. And even guys like Norman Mineta could tell that there was something going on behind the scenes. And that, uh, that testimony from Mineta was scrubbed from the website of the commission and the commission report. Um, and, and you notice uh, that movie, or I mean, sorry, that scene of Mineta's of, uh, relaying or, or the actual scene he describes where a guy comes in and says, the plane's 30 minutes out. Do the orders still stand? Yes. The orders still stand. And Cheney keeps saying until the plane's five minutes out, Cheney's still saying, yes, the orders still stand, which what else would that mean besides don't shoot down the plane, let it hit the Pentagon. But they, the movie vice, which was an entertaining movie. um, Who's, uh, what's Batman's name? Plays Dick Cheney in that movie. Uh, Christian Bale. What is, oh, yeah. Christian Bale. Christian Bale plays Cheney. Uh, Sam Rockwell plays Bush. And uh, Steve Carell plays Rumsfeld. And as entertaining as that movie is, it was a complete whitewash start to finish. I mean, they made him look like guys who just capitalized on an opportunity to make money. And not anybody that was doing anything shadier than that. And they left out that whole scene. They had this whole scene in the Situation Room, and they completely left out uh, Norman Mineta's testimony. They had to because they're probably the CIA, the Mockingbird Media said you can't put that in a movie. And you know the the CIA they even admitted, uh, I believe it was uh, which was the uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger one that was uh, the, the Last Action Hero in that Cop. movie. Well, not Kindergarten Cop, but Last Action Hero, I think it was like Michael Bay, or forget which director, huge director, but they wanted to use real military, uh, in order to get like the real military tanks and stuff, Hollywood has deals with uh, the military to use it, but they, they'll they let them say what they want to talk about in the script, and in that movie, they had like, uh, it was like Chinese terrorists or something, and they made them, uh, in Last Action Hero, do Muslim terrorists. That wasn't even in the script. They changed the type of terrorists they wanted them to use in order to use tanks. If you, uh, if if the if the Department of Defense, which has an office in Hollywood, allows you, uh, if you need to use their equipment, aircraft carriers, jets, and things like that, they will let you do that. But they get final script approval. That's part of their deal. It's the, like uh, exactly. Disney and the CCP. And they, yeah, that's exactly okay. what it is. Final script approval. 
Yeah. Wow. And that's, that's, they, they, I, I made a list of all the movies that, um, DOD changed, you know, like had input in their final script approval. And like, you know, there are a lot of them were like the ones that you would expect, like Top Gun and, you know, Red Dawn and all that stuff. But like, you get, it gets down to like the most absurd things. Like Ernest Saves Christmas had DOD approval on the script. <laughs> Dude, I'm not surprised. But dude, Ernest movies were the best ever. Dude, those movies were so. They they don't even make a good Ernest goes to jail movie, but the, like they literally any form of media. I mean, micro influencers on the internet are getting canceled like crazy. So I guess I'm not surprised that the DoD is on every single form of media giving script approval. I'm actually not surprised. Nope. So. Did we? Did we have any? Do we have anything else on one or two or seven before we move on to the Pentagon and the uh, the crash plane? Well, we got to we have to say one thing about Tower Seven, and I think it's the only you know steel structure building to ever fall from furniture fires or office fires ever. Uh, so that's how we know that that's laughable. We have Barry Jennings who was there, who gave a detailed. Uh, report on the day it happened. He got stuck there. He's the guy that said that the office, um, the mayor's office of emergency management was empty and that when he looked in there, there were half eaten sandwiches and hot coffee. So it was like it had just gotten emptied out like minutes earlier. And he said that he was trying to get out of building seven. This was during the day. This wasn't 530 when 525 when it went down that afternoon. It was this was like uh, between nine and eleven in the morning. <laughs> I see what you did there. And the reason he couldn't get out, yeah, that's true. Uh, he, he couldn't get out because as they were coming down the stairs, everything blew up in the lobby. And this was so in this, seven before one or two seven, had collapsed. Before 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 it came down, um, and it, yeah, so I'm not sure the exact but bef- time, I but think it he was says- in the. It was Late before even or one or two morning. came down that that the bomb went off and maybe, seven. yeah, maybe, um, maybe, I have the, maybe it was I, even you that. You did too. send me that. Uh, I'll play the short version, and then if uh, okay. we can, I, I have the five minute version. I don't know if we can get through all of it, but I have the. I'll no, play the short version short. first. So now they're walking back toward the World Trade Center, and as we keep letting you hear the personal this stories, the, the survivor stories of exactly what happened inside the World Trade Center when that first plane went in, and of course the collapses since then. We're going to bring more of those to you now. Barry Jennings, you're on the eighth floor. You work for the city housing department. Explain to me the moment of impact. Well, me and Mr. Hess, the Corporation Council, were on the 23rd floor. I told them we got to get, get out of here. We started walking down the stairs. We made it to the eighth floor. Big explosion. Blew us back into the eighth floor. And I turned to Hesh, I, I said, this is it, we're dead, we're, we're not going to make it out of here. I took uh, a fire extinguisher and I bust the window out. That's when this gentleman, this gentleman here heard my cries for help. This gentleman right here, and he said, kept, kept saying, stand by, somebody's coming to get you. They, could, they couldn't get to us for an hour because they couldn't find us. You thought that was it? I thought, I thought we're dead. I thought that was it. Yeah, very genius. And I'd like to read this since, since we, before we... Um move on just to, as a reminder to, for, for people the, the project for a new American century wrote a, a, a document in September of 2000, one full year before this event called rebuilding America's defenses. And it was written by in the project for a new American century is, is just like a, a think tank filled with 
bunch of people from the Bush administration, a lot of holdovers from like the original Bush administration and, and some Reagan guys. Um, like I said, a lot of Zionists and things like that. So there, it, one of the terms that that is talked about, and I think it's important for people to, to remember that they wrote this a year in advance, is further the process of transformation, even if it brings revolutionary change, is likely to be a long one absent some catastrophic and catalyzing event like a new Pearl Harbor. So this is the reason why for people that are maybe new to 9-11, they'll hear this term, a new Pearl Harbor. There's a, a couple reasons why you would say that. But one of the reasons why is because they called their shot in advance, a year in advance, saying that they that if you're trying to transform society, and that's what they're doing, it's what Rebuilding America's Defense is, this, this document that they wrote, it's all about how do we transform America? How do we really militarize it and bring, you know, bring it into this crazy new world order? Um, and on page 51, they talk about that. They talk about the, they lay out sort of the down, the, the problems that they have is that, look, this transformation that we want to make is going to be tough unless we have something like a new Pearl Harbor. And then a year later, they get a new Pearl Harbor. And then the Patriot Act rolls out literally weeks after that a, 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 a thousand plus page document comes out weeks after that that had obviously been written in advance and was rammed through congress and you know passed and and, and that is so people go well 9-11 happened 20 years ago it doesn't matter to us no no it matters because the patriot act created fema and department of homeland security and all of these and tsa and all these agencies that are used to control us they're still in existence and they're in existence because of the Patriot Act and the Patriot Act happened because of the project for a new American centuries, rebuilding America's defenses. They knew that this was the document that they laid out. This is the problem that we've got. We need a new Pearl Harbor. They created the new Pearl Harbor. They rolled out the Patriot Act mission accomplished. Yeah. And it's you nailed uh, it. Yeah. It, 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 well, well laid out there, and it's um you can draw the parallel like we have been doing throughout the show to COVID. Like the Patriot Act didn't go away, the TSA didn't go away, Homeland Security sure as hell didn't go away. In fact, Homeland Security is now being turned inwards, which was promised that would never happen. They're being turned uh, on domestic quote unquote terrorists. So, and with COVID, the the social distancing, the ability to lock things down, like these powers aren't gonna. They, it's not like a one time use that they're just gonna. Like, oh, it was just that one time. Like, no. But during 9-11, all this stuff was was sold to us as being temporary. All of these restrictions, yep. all of this stuff. This is, you know, hey, listen, you know, we, we just have to be super now and make sure this never happens again. And, you know, so we got to put these temporary things. In. So you, you just you simply cannot trust the government when they say that they're going to do something and it, it, that's going to be temporary because we know where that's going to go. So, so like you said, again, great parallels between. You know, you, you might think 9-11 and, and COVID have very little to do with each other, but but really it goes back to the Rahm Emanuel, never let a good crisis go to waste mentality. Mm -hmm. And in and in the absence of a good crisis, uh, well, just create one. So, yep. If you give governments emergency powers, they'll create emergencies so that they can use those powers. But let me tell you why 9-11 was so much better than Corona. I mean, 9-11 was terrible. <laughs> Uh, but at least everybody became one, dude. Everybody had a flag in their yard. People were hugging each other. People were, like, helping each other. I, don't, I mean, like, 
Yeah, I just kind of remember, like, even in sports, after the game, you felt more camaraderie ship. Like, you just, I guess you wanted to help other Americans. And th- that's the exact opposite of what's happening now. It's like the the night and day difference. Like, now yeah. Americans hate each other. They wouldn't even pick you up if you're dying on the street unless that's you're masked point. or vaccinated. Yeah, but that dude, is, back, that's true. Back then, dude, everybody was bros. Even if you were black, white, Latino, like unless you're a Muslim, but everybody else. And if you're was bros. Muslim or yeah. Sikh or yeah. Hindu, because or you know Indian Americans couldn't tell brown. the difference. They're just like yeah. you. You're brown. I'm gonna get you. Everybody was uh, love best friends unless you're brown. <laughs> yeah, you're fucked if you're brown. I mean, look um, at that face. Um, I'd like to remind people that the great William Cooper said on June twenty eighth. 2001, 75 days before 9-11 happened, he said on his radio show, I'm telling you to be prepared for a major attack, but it won't be Osama bin Laden. It will be those behind the new world order. Whatever is going to happen that they are going to blame on Osama bin Laden, don't you even believe it. We need Bill Cooper back. Yep. They, They murdered him later that year, by the way. Yeah, it it's uh it makes you wonder, and I love Alex with all my heart, and I found Trump quite entertaining. But when it comes to, like Alex predicted nine eleven, also like a month or so before it happened, but he didn't get uh taken out like they took out Bill Cooper. So it makes you wonder, uh, I don't know, it makes you question why they let certain people live. I'm trying to be nice about how I say this because I I like the guys over at Infowars and I like Alex, but. Why? Why don't they? Why didn't they take him down? Like they took down Bill you know, Cooper and so many others. Well, and people like that conspiracy, like, oh, you know, Alex Jones is controlled opposition. I don't necessarily believe that. I mean, I guess there's, you, there's, you can always find some sort of evidence that could, I guess you could paint that picture. But dude, he's taking it such on the chin for Sandy Hook that I don't know, and that, that's like something you can't even talk about. I, I just we'll I don't that. know if he's we'll chill. <laughs> well, I'm saying, I mean, I think <laughs> you can maybe say, I think you could just say that. I, I don't think, you, as long as we're not talking about the official story, I think you're allowed to talk about how he was sued for it. Um, but I'm just saying, like, he basically lost, I mean, he was at one point the biggest guy on YouTube. Uh, you know, like, there's bigger people, but he lost all that because of Sandy. So, I mean, maybe he's a show. I don't necessarily believe that. I don't think that. I, I don't think so. I think uh, I think they I think the reason uh and and we have to give credit where credit's due as far as exposing 9/11, I think Alex Jones was the biggest at least big, well, the person with the biggest platform that pushed that uh that that really he's the exposed the guy. Yeah. Well, I'm saying when you get to the top, like you're always going to be accused of being a shill. So, right. I mean, I don't necessarily think that's the case. I just well, think I, that's what comes with the territory. I think they I think he's a double edged sword where he helps the establishment because he's so bombastic and funny and goofy at times and over, overly emotional. And I know if you've been doing this as long as he has and you have that personality type, it only makes sense. But he also uh, the way he presents himself. Uh, discredits in a lot of people's eyes conspiracies. So I think the the globalists, for lack of a better term, look at Alex and they're like, "Well, this guy's doing nothing but help us because his personality discredits what he says, and people associate nine yeah. eleven trutherism with crazy Alex Jones." And uh, he also Alex tells a story from time to time that I find pretty fascinating, which is he was on a plane with some you know elite banker, and I'm paraphrasing it because I haven't heard the story in a while, but the 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 uh 
the guy's the banker says to Alex, I hope I'm getting this mostly right. He says something along the lines of, he's like, you know why we let you keep doing what you're doing? Because no, no matter how much truth you tell these people, you're just going to demoralize them. And you're just going to make them like think it's hopeless. The more like truth you tell them. And Alex, you know, Alex's counter argument was like, no, he thinks that enough people will like rise up and, you know, not take it, take it lying down. Um, and assuming that's uh, accurate as to how that story went, I think that's, uh, I don't know, I, th- I think that makes a lot of sense as to why they would let someone like Alex uh, continue doing what he's doing. Could you imagine getting on an airplane and then like Alex Jones sits down next to you? Like I would get as much as as much as I appreciate his, you know, what he's done and his, you know, sense of humor and his delivery and all that stuff. Like, I, I don't know that I'd want to be on an airplane with Alex Jones. Like, I think I might get up and get I want to get a plane. picture of him with the mask uh, on, Charlie. No, I'm I just saying, like, as far as, like, the plane goes boom. You know what I mean? Like, oh, when you get yeah. to 35,000 feet. Oh, like, yeah, I wouldn't. Up. <laughs> yeah. You know what I, I mean? I'd be less scared with, like, tin, uh, yeah, like, tin uh, Sikhs with bombs on their chest. I'd be less worried than if yeah, I was right. Like, an airplane. Remember an airplane, the movie, when they're, exactly. like, they, they're all going through the security and they put that old lady up against the wall? Um, I wanted to read this just for people that are going, you know, that are, again, may or may not be fully... Uh, steeped in the 9-11 backstory here because I've been mentioning quite a few times the project for a new American century and and I wanted to read what this is, just a description really fast so that people understand who this group is and kind of what they're about. It says the project for a new American century was a neoconservative think tank based in Washington, D.C. that focused on United States foreign policy. It was established as a nonprofit educational organization in 1997 by founder William Crystal and Robert Kagan. The PNAC stated goal was to, quote, promote American global leadership. The organization stated that, quote, American leadership is good both for America and for the world and sought to build support for a Reaganite policy of military strength and moral clarity. The project for a new American century ceased to function in 2006. It was replaced by New Think Tank Foreign Policy Initiative, co-founded by Crystal and Kagan in 2009. And um, PNAC's first public act was to release a statement of principles on June 3rd, 1997. The statement had 25 signers, including project members and outside supporters. Ten went on to serve in the administration of U.S. President George W. Bush, including Dick Cheney, Donald Rumsfeld, and Paul Wolfowitz. So... And and just so you know, that that statement of principle that they talked about putting out the first thing they did in 97 described the United States as the world's preeminent power and said that they needed to shape a new century favorable to American principles and interests. And in order to achieve this goal, they called for significant increases in defense spending and for the promotion of political and economic freedom abroad. So these guys are psychopathic warmonger maniacs and they wanted to start wars because they want, because when, when America's got a strong military, uh, you know, they, they want to use it. So that was their whole, that was their whole philosophy. Just so people know where the PNAC kind of came from, like what they were talking about and what they were pushing for. They're pushing for total war. Okay, and um, and and the people that are running them, running their the that organization, are 
psychopaths of the highest order. So one of them was a guy named Richard Pearl. He's he's um, he was one of the signers for the project for New American Century. He 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 was involved in the creation of it. He and this is his quote. And it, you just listen. This is, he is a psycho. Okay, but this is what he, he's talking about. Um, He's talking about uh, what they what they need to do for Afghanistan. He he says this: no stages. This is total war. We are fighting a variety of enemies. There are lots of them out there. All this talk about first we go, we're going to do Afghanistan, then we do Iraq. This is entirely the wrong way to go about it. If we just let our vision of the world go forth and we embrace it entirely, and we don't try to piece together clever diplomacy, we just wage. A total war. Our children will sing great songs about us for years to come. <laughs> okay, so I just want to make sure that people understand that the term radicalized was was designed to describe Richard Pearl. Yeah, and no he kidding. was extremely involved in the Bush administration. And it makes you wonder who's policy. above who's up above him on the food chain. I mean, if, if we know at yeah. some point it gets up to lizard people, but like who's in between Pearl and and like Zoltar, the reptilian. <laughs> but uh, and then Cheney, I mean, I love to bring this up and it's a lot of other people do. So, but so but the uh, I mean, he didn't have a pulse for a while. He didn't have a heart. He just had his blood. There wasn't a pum, 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 pum. It was just a constant right. steady flow of I mean, and that's crazy like that. That's just crazy that you could like, I mean, talk about, like, I mean, I know, I don't know if he was cold blooded necessarily, but uh, there's something Close. like really poetic and dark and eerie and just disturbing about, about not having a heartbeat, about not having a heartbeat or, or just having a literal robot heart and then just shooting yeah. some guy in the face and having him apologize to you for being shot in the face is pretty actually that's, that's pretty that's gangster that's pretty baller <laughs> not, i can't even get mad about that one <laughs> well uh, i think the us the us military their uh, their uh, strategy is uh, when you're a hammer every problem is a nail i think is how they describe yes. it that is it that would be pnex uh, policy as well yeah that was uh, that was what the aide said to Wesley Clark, I think, and there's in that quote. Um, yeah, and then the day before, yeah, okay. on September 10th, 2001, uh, there was a, a plan to invade Afghanistan and Iraq laid on George Bush's desk, according to what CNN reported at the time. So it's just the day before they were like, "All right, well, we Dude, got this." The plan. BBC <laughs> said Tower Seven fell 45 minutes before it did. I mean, dude, it's it's all just laughable what the media probably knew beforehand, uh, and like they they just uh, knew it was Osama bin Laden. Thirty minutes after the first tower went down, they were talking about Osama bin Laden. Who told them that? Like, who did yeah. they ask? It's like Oswald. Like, okay, yeah. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Like, yeah, say Osama bin Laden. It's it's okay. Just just blame it on this guy. You know, the worst terrorist attack ever, and we got it all figured out in thirty minutes. Yeah, right. I've got a great Alex Jones quote from the Octopus book. It says about 9-11. It says, people say the government couldn't carry out the September 11th attack. It's too big. They'd get caught. They did get caught. They're just counting on you to be dumb and to go along with it. <laughs> uh, they did. You're reading something real bad. <laughs> Alex, I'm Alex reading Jones. your words. <laughs> you lunatic? Uh. 
Oh my god. Um yeah, and then okay, so can we talk about the corkscrew crazy turn that the worst pilot on record the worst pilot of the four makes this crazy turn, loops straight back around, loses sight of the Pentagon, and then comes in and hits it just perfectly on the sidewall. I mean, that's like uh they did flight simulators of it and no one no one could recreate it except for some bogus one in the Netherlands, I think it was, where they didn't even come close to going that speed and weren't as low to the ground. Dude, they they, they can't recreate his path because, like, the wings would have hit those uh, light poles. Supposedly. That's supposedly been debunked. Like, that plane couldn't have flown that low. Uh, and then they only give us three frames of the entire explosion. Like, that is the biggest travesty of this whole thing. They'll give us, like, a million clips of the planes going into the towers, but they will only give us three frames of the Pentagon. That's how you know, whatever it was, well, they, it's, it's not what they say. They only have that one, like a uh, little gas station cam frame by frame one, like the Pentagon, they're on a tight budget, you know, cause they just lost that $2.3 trillion. So they couldn't afford any security <laughs> cameras on the premises. Yeah. They didn't have any iCloud storage back then, I guess. That's why they, they couldn't record it. I mean, dude, in, in that, that gas station, they talked about the footage. Like, why were we not allowed to see that? How is that in order of national security of us getting to see the full footage? If if that was the case, you would want to show that to everybody. Be like, look at this building going in. It's because obviously a plane wasn't able to fly that low and hit basically perpendicular or however you want to describe it, exactly parallel with the ground uh, on a plane that's like nearly, I think it's like 50 feet tall or something. Or I don't even know the exact height of the plane. It's like 25 feet, and the hole is like 25 feet. It just doesn't make sense. The hole would be higher on a craft that big. So I've got a quote from Captain Russ Wittenberg, former U.S. Air Force fighter pilot, and he said the following, I flew the two actual aircraft which were involved in 9-11, the flight number 175 and flight 93. The 757 that allegedly went down in Shanksville and flight 175 is the aircraft that... That's alleged to have hit the South Tower. I don't believe it's possible for, like I said, for a terrorist, a so-called terrorist, to train on a Cessna 172, then jump in a cockpit of a 757-767 class cockpit and vertical navigate the aircraft, lateral navigate the aircraft, and fly the airplane at speeds exceeding its designed limit speed by well over 100 knots, make high-speed, high-banked turns, exceedingly pulling probably 5, 6, 7 Gs, and the aircraft would literally fall out of the sky. I couldn't do it, and I'm absolutely positive they couldn't do it. Yeah, and he's not alone. There's numerous pilots came out and said similar things about the whole. So he's flown. He flew the actual planes. He flew a hundred combat missions. He flew for United Airlines for thirty five years. He has thirty thousand total flight hours under his belt. He is extremely experienced, and he said it is impossible for these guys to do it. Yeah, fly that a two hundred and seventy degree corkscrew loop that takes you down parallel to Pentagon. Not happening. Didn't happen. Can't ha- not not possible. Can't happen. And it makes you wonder, like, why? Uh, there's a lot of things like the corkscrew, like, um, I mean, I could come up with other, other examples, but like, it's kind of astonishing how sloppy they were with this whole operation. Like, why do the corkscrew just to make it harder to believe? Why not just fly it straight into there? 
Why were they? It was almost like they're rubbing it in our faces or something. I don't know what the hell was up with it. Well, you would fly a corkscrew if you were flying, if you were trying to land in a combat uh, zone. So, I mean, that's a tactic, but they're not trying to. Well, I guess maybe they are technically trying to land. They're trying to land it on the roof of the Pentagon. Well, they're trying to land it close enough to the Pentagon so it can cover for the bombs that were placed in there, I guess. Right. Yeah. And it had just been reinforced. what, like a month before? the uh, Right in the area where it got hit. And then yep. they called all the people that had information on the Security and Exchange Commission fraud into the room. And then it blew up that room. Told them to yeah. bring all their papers. Yeah. So the, the, uh, papers, the people the figuring out what happened to the missing $2.3 trillion, which Donald Rumsfeld had announced the day before, I believe. Yeah. Uh, the day before the, pe- the accounting wing of the Pentagon just gets incinerated by what supposedly was a plane um so back when cnn used to do actual news i mean they didn't do much of it but but back there in 2001 they had a guy named jamie mcintyre cnn military affairs correspondent and he said this from the pentagon a while ago i walked right up next to the building firefighters were still trying to put out the blaze the fire by the way is still burning in some parts of the pentagon and i i took a look at the huge gaping hole that's in this side way but from my close-up inspection there is no evidence of a plane having crashed anywhere near the pentagon the only site is the actual side of the building that's crashed in. And as I said, the only pieces left that you can see are small enough that you can pick up in your hand. There are no large tail sections, wing sections, a fuselage, nothing like that anywhere around. That's from CNN on the I remember of. that clip. Yeah, not, I remember hearing that. Yeah, not that you can believe CNN, but but I mean, the thing is that a lot of this stuff... The best information you'll get are in the first couple of hours before they have control over the situation. Before they, they, you know, so sometimes you'll get things that'll slip out, uh, out of sequence or, or someone will say something that they were, that they're not supposed to say, or that from that day forward, you know, from the next day on, you never hear like, like guys talking about this or the people oh. that showed up in Shanksville and couldn't find anything there. You know what I mean? All those guys, the amount of CNN and, and Fox and MSNBC on the day saying, looks like a controlled demolition or looks like there were bombs in the building and Mm-hmm. You know, hundreds of witnesses saying they heard explosions like, yeah, that was there that day and then gone. And uh, it's hard to find it even on YouTube anymore. A lot of that stuff. But uh, and uh, and of course, the uh, similar quotes. What was the the plane that went down in Skankland, Shanksville? What was the what was it called? Mm hmm. Oh, I'll Skank- get to those. Skank- Shanksville, Pennsylvania. It makes Skank- no plane. sense. <laughs> Yeah, and it turned, dude, and it, it literally went into the grain, the, the the ground. They say that it disintegrated, and then, uh, uh, I guess, just the ground was just able to magically swallow it up with no debris. I mean, Flight ninety three. People even accept like that's not the official story, and like even if you're a non conspiracy theorist in your mind, you're like, well, they probably just shot it down, but they had to because it was going to go into a building, and that's the cognitive dissonance that everybody's suffering from, like. You know, they know that it's impossible. The official story that they telling that they told us of that plane going down in that exact spot is absolutely impossible. And people will do mental gymnastics and come up with a theory of why it is possible and, and to justify it, to agree with the official story that, you know, uh, is bull crap in the first place. So it's just really weird how easy it is to trick people is what I'm trying to say. So I've got some great um 
eyewitness testimony from the ground on the day of Shanksville that I'll read off. And these are, <laughs> this is just crazy stuff. So the first one, actually the first two are from a guy named Wallace Miller, coroner of Somerset County, Pennsylvania. He was among the first people to arrive at Flight 93 uh, crash site on the morning of 9-11, he said, quote, I stopped being coroner after about 20 minutes because there were no bodies there. Then he went on to say later, I got, he's doing a different interview. He said, I got to the actual crash site and could not believe what I saw. Usually you see much debris, wreckage, and much noise and commotion. This crash was different. There was no wreckage, no bodies, and no noise. It appeared as though there was no passengers or crew on this plane. Then he gets interviewed again, and he says... It was really a very unusual sight. You almost would have thought the passengers had been dropped off somewhere, even by the standard model of an airplane crash. There was very little, even by those standards. He gets asked again by someone else. He says, this is the most eerie thing. I have not, not to this day, seen a single drop of blood, not a drop. Then they interviewed, uh, okay, so that's the coroner talking. Then they get Fay Hahn, who's an EMT, one of the first people that showed up there. She said, several trees were burned badly and there were papers everywhere. We searched. I was told there were 224 passengers, but later found out that there were actually 40. I was stunned. There was nothing there. John Meyer, reporter for WJAC-TV, said, we were, so, we were so early that they hadn't had a chance to set up a barrier for the press. I was able to get right up to the edge of the crater. All I saw was a crater filled with small charred plane parts. There were no suitcases, no recognizable plane parts, no body parts. Next guy, Wells Morrison, FBI agent. We arrived in the immediate area and walked up to the crater in the burning woods. My first thought was, where is the plane? Because most of what I saw was this honeycomb looking stuff, which I believe is insulation or something like that. I was not seeing anything that was distinguishable either as human remains or aircraft debris. It just goes on and on and on. And it's and it's not just like you know, Bob Jenkins eyewitness. It's Patrick Madigan, commander of the Somerset Barracks, Pennsylvania State Police. I quote, I was amazed because it did not in any way, shape or form look like a plane crash. <laughs> so and do what do we think this was a missile? Because I know there's reports of the power, the whole power grid nearby going down uh, right before the impact and people seeing something whizzed by this, like really fast through the sky. What is there like a not the official theory, but what is like an alternate theory of what this was, where it was headed. Was it meant to crash into the ground? Is it diversion? Was it a missile? Was it supposed to blow something else up? What the hell was this thing? Does anybody have any ideas? I don't know. I, really I haven't really know. heard it po any like theories even presented as to what was going on with it. No, and these guys don't don't ever like say like they never say anything like oh it, it wasn't a plane but it was probably a missile. They they all just say the same thing like I don't know. I don't know what it was, but I know what it wasn't. And it wasn't a plane crash that That's they all sure. are, are in agreement of that with That's that. Like what sure. it actually was. They don't know. I w Yeah. I wonder, I've always been curious. It was like, was it, uh, was it a missile that was meant to be headed to hit another target, but, uh, some white hats shot it down. Like what was going on? 
Well, here's a here's a good uh, explanation that sort of speaking to that. Lyle Sabinka, area commander, Pennsylvania State Police. There were pieces of debris, small pieces of debris laying everywhere, and there were a lot of papers blowing around, and the ground was on fire. The debris was very, very small. There was actually nothing to tell you that it was an aircraft. Had you not known that that, that was an aircraft crash, you would have looked at that and you would have said something happened here, but I don't know what. So that's the area commander of the Pennsylvania State Police. Wow. And Servo yeah, in the I, I would has, assume has seen some has seen some shit. Servo in the chat room has a theory. The ritual of the towers was a spell to transport that plane, Flight 93, to another dimension so that they could meet the aliens they'd been using DMT to communicate with. Well, that's Don <laughs> Lemon's theory on what happened to MH370 is that it got <laughs> yeah, swallowed yeah. up by a black hole. Yeah, and I love the the scientists like, well, if it got swallowed up by a black hole, it would have swallowed up the entire universe. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, well, but uh, yeah, how does this Black Lives Matter? <laughs> Wish it would have gone in my black hole. Um, uh, Don Lemon's the worst, the worst <laughs> of the worst. We did get uh, the chat has also informed me that we have a voicemail that just came in. We need to play. Oh, Roses are red. Violets are blue. Harambe's in heaven. Bush did 9-11. Oh, thank you. Thank you, caller. <laughs> I like that one. Thank you, caller. Uh, that's good. All right. Um, uh, where were we? Bush is too stupid to do 9-11. Let me just, let me just, at least W, Bush is too stupid. To yeah, do I think, I think it was Ch- like Cheney and I, I think it's entirely possible that W had no idea what was going on and they just kept him completely in the dark. I I think that's a, I I think that's possible too. You know how like you've got like the one dumb friend of yours that's got a big mouth and you're like, I just can't tell him because he'll tell everyone and and somehow everybody else knows, but you can't tell that guy because that guy will tell everyone, you know, like you sort of keep it quiet. I feel like they, they treated Bush like a child. Yeah. Like not HW Bush, of course, mind you, he's a, he, he was a a devious psychopath. Um, but, but you know, that president we've ever had probably, um, I think, I think HW and Cheney were probably the masterminds of the actual nine 11 plan, at least, on the America side, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. In Dude, you have to be pretty Mossad. evil to, to, to fly drone missiles into children, into weddings. I mean, you have to be definitely evil. I mean, Obama's just as evil, though, too, sadly. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, that's a prerequisite for becoming president. <laughs> or, <laughs> or, you know, or, or just being so dumb. Like I was thinking like about Biden it earlier, and I, or, I guess I've never or, thought or, of it in these terms, but... How they like they got all these rah rah Republicans like hating uh, with the propaganda they hated Bin Laden and they hated Hussein, uh, <laughs> Osama Bin Laden, and then they get this guy in as president. No wonder like the like patriot like dumb Republicans hated Obama so much because like they've been told for the last eight years to hate uh, <laughs> Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden, and they get a guy and that's. Barack Hussein Obama. It's like so this name sounds so similar. I mean, it's like they set up that divide. I don't know if I'm I'm just kind of piecing that together now, but man. That's why so many people got tripped up on it. You know, when yeah. he was first president, they just kept saying it over and over again. And it was like, is this a Freudian slip? 
<laughs> or is this, uh, you know, part of some other master plan? Barack Hussein Osama. Yeah. Um, man. Uh, well, I know we're coming up on time here. Is there anything else we need to, uh, we need to cover before we get out of here? And I don't, OBDM is well, we coming got- up, so I don't want to go too far much longer, but. Okay, well, I guess we got to, we got to kind of, it, it, uh, I guess, you know, kind of, um, you know, what is it? Summarize the whole entire attack and what happened that day. So I guess the official story is that it was 19 hijackers armed with box cutters that were able to defeat the greatest military in the world and bring down three towers with two planes. And so I think we know that that story is laughable, is totally false. So for the people watching, I think that's like the starting point is to realize the official story, the, the 9-11 commission report that they gave us is provably false. Now, what we talked about here today, we talk about missiles and drones. We don't necessarily know. We're only speculating. But I think all of us here clearly know the official story of 9-11 is absolutely false. And you really have to do hours and hours of research because this two hours listening to you know, us talk about it, you're not going to get the whole story. You have to actually, you know, put in the work to figure out what happened that day and, and all the people that benefited from 9-11. Yeah, and I'll put um, in uh, I'll yeah. put in plenty of resources in the show notes. Obviously, Loose Change, I'm sure I can find that somewhere. And then uh, nine, September 11th, New Pearl Harbor, that's a great deep dive for any skeptic uh, to watch that. And, uh, of course, uh, I'll put in Charlie's books and Alex's shenanigans that he's doing, uh, YouTubes and podcasts great, and all man. that. That'll all be in the show notes for people to find. But yeah, there's so many resources uh, when it comes to this stuff. Harder to find, especially on YouTube now. But uh, you can find some pretty wild 9-11 stuff if you're looking for it. I still find new stuff regularly. Yeah, I think as long as people just understand, look, at you don't have to have every single dot connected on 9-11 to get an idea that it was not what it was uh, told to us. Uh, and you, you don't have to have it all figured out to, to participate in a conversation with your friends about it. Obviously, the more you know about it, the better off your argument will be. But you can study this stuff for years and still not have all of it connected. But uh, as long as you just understand that, People would say, well, why, why, did, why did they do 9-11? Well, they did it, it as the reason to usher in the global war of terror, well, war on terror, they called it, but it was the war of terror, to remake the Middle East in a way that benefits their allies there, Saudi Arabia and Israel, to give a blank check to their buddies in the military industrial complex and on Wall Street, which definitely happened. The Federal Reserve printed money like crazy. Uh, They wanted to simultaneously take away the rights of Americans, and they wanted to create never-ending wars. And take over the opium production. For sure. That that, that actually finances uh, the CIA's Black Project. So, yeah. Everybody got a little something. There was a little something in it for everybody. And, and one thing that you're 100 percent right is, is, you know, it's like basically the lay the groundwork. The Patriot Act 1.0 is going to lay the groundwork for the social credit score and for the new contact tracing app where you give up all your privacy in order for protection. And that's what 9-11 did. It gave us the illusion of giving our safety or giving our freedom away for the guise of safety. 
which at the end of the day, we get neither. We get less freedom and less safety. But you look at this, too. We didn't get in the woods. But for the people that are listening to this, you want to look into the predictive programming with 9-11. Like, they had it in our subconscious that those towers are going to come down. And a great video is Back to the Future, Does It Predict 9-11? And that video will make you, you know, really, it'll keep you up at night when you look at all the predictive programming and, like, subtle uh, dog whistles that they had that there yeah. was going to be a terror attack. And, it goes well beyond happened. the Simpsons predicting it. That's for sure. I, th- I think you oh. reminded me of that. I need to look into that because I, I haven't seen it forever, but I'll put that in the show notes too. That's like a whole nother level of wacky though. I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up my part by saying this because I just found this part in, in my octopus book, which was uh, called who wanted what on nine 11. And I think that this helps to sort of un- to understand that it's such a multifaceted operation that there were so many people that benefited from it so i put it like this the oil companies wanted the pipeline through afghanistan the cia wanted control of the poppy fields in afghanistan the military industrial complex wanted never-ending wars in the middle east the bush family wanted to conceal their financial crimes and the one trillion dollars that was coming due the next day on september 12th 2001 that's a long story that we didn't get into multinational corporations wanted access to the trillions in minerals in afghanistan the shadow government wanted control of the Pentagon. Larry Silverstein wanted his World Trade Center buildings destroyed so that he didn't have to pay the asbestos removal cost of a billion dollars. The neocons wanted a destabilized Middle East. Israel wanted a destabilized Middle East as well, not to mention the destruction of Iraq, Syria, and Iran. The Pentagon wanted a black check, blank check, and the government and the media wanted the people to be scared. And I would say mission accomplished on all of that. I guess I'll ask you in closing. Could they pull something like this off again? Would they try to pull something off like this again, or will they just step it up? I know. I mean, I know we could count COVID as that, but I'm thinking like a more isolated event. Dude, it's funny you say that with the false flags. A false flag attacks this day and age with the cell phone camera. I think it makes it more difficult to do a false flag shooting or false flag bomb or false flag, you know, whatever. And obviously, these people are more creative than I am. They can come up with, with ideas I haven't even formulated in my mind. But I'm just saying the technology is kind of catching up to them where it makes it now they have to do like uh, the virus. Like, you know, they have to have a use bunk test or, you know, make us scared of this invisible thing that we can't even uh, find on our own without getting some Pfizer approved tests to figure out if we have it or not. So. Uh, um, they've really done a good job of creating a whole new boogeyman where they don't even have to use like the traditional false flag Operation Northwoods uh, attacks that they use in the past. It's a whole new digital age of, of uh, psychological operations. Yeah, yeah, they can. They they don't need a nine eleven anymore. They can deep fake one. They can deep fake somebody saying something. They can have Putin saying, I'm going to take you guys out. You just wait. I'll get you. You I'll get you. You awful Americans. And then next thing you know, they've they've got a project blue blue beam like mushroom cloud going off over some city that they've filmed, you know, in some studio, you know, whatever. I mean, there's a million ways they can think they they potentially have the technology to actually project holograms and maybe have a fake fleet of UFOs in the sky at some point that people well, would be the, outside seeing with their own eyes. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I have a, a, an episode that just came of macro aggressions just came out today talking about 
the ties to Silicon Valley venture capital uh, companies. And one of the companies uh, that makes that really impressive technology, the the holographic technology is called Magic Leap. And if people have ever watched the images of a humpback whale, it looks like it's jumping out of a basketball court. You know, they got a bunch of kids and splashing the water and the kids, the kids all freak out. That's like 15 years ago that video came out. That's from a company called Magic Leap. Magic Leap. And they also have like the tiny elephant in the palm of your hand you see that's yes. the same guys the, yeah. the the venture capital firm that financed magic leap is on the board of directors for the world economic forum just so you know wow man it bummed me out to find out tulsi gabbard was on the world economic forum it's like god i know bummer but uh yeah and the uh the the hologram stuff if they can do it now and this is you know, I don't believe this, but it's just a thought exercise. Not to discredit everything we talked about that was real today, <laughs> but it makes you wonder about the hologram, the hologram uh, planes. Yeah, but I, I, I never I believed the hologram planes theory, but it wasn't because I didn't think the technology was there. Right. I just thought it was a distraction, but yeah. but I I didn't. I but it was never because. The, oh, they can't do that because <laughs> I never thought. Yeah, I, th- I never thought that. But it's like the. I think they had to fly something into it. I don't think it was necessarily, you know, uh, a fake hologram. I, I, I mean, like I've kind of articulated that in my mind, like trying to use the missile, mental gymnastics to maybe say that that was true at one point. But no, nah, I, don't, I don't think that's the case. I think it'd be too easy for them to, you know, make an airplane. That's what copy Daniel, an American Airlines plane. That's what Daniel to. List from Dark Journal, Journalist calls the there's the three stages of the story, but that's the junk conspiracy part of the story. Yeah, it's kind of like the the driver of the the vehicle shot Kennedy conspiracy. It's like yeah. it distracts from the actual proof that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's yeah. So that, yeah, <laughs> like I said, not to discredit everything we've already brought up, that is true no. because the the hologram plane theory is is a uh, one of those things that completely distracts from the actual um, provable, tangible events. Right. But but again, if not, if we get onto said, a topic, yeah, if you get on nine eleven and and you you've got. You know, you're talking about all these different aspects of it and you get one of them wrong, like you're just wrong about it. That's not great, but it's not the end of the world either. It shouldn't discredit every single thing that you've been talking about, because let's be honest, this is a professional disinformation campaign being run by the best people in the world at it, the CIA and the Mossad. So the fact that we got any of it right is amazing. So if you're if you're if you're going into the 9-11 rabbit hole and you you go down a path that that you thought was true and then you find out that it's it's, it's not true, don't be discouraged. There's lots of that out there. It's by design. So just kind of keep playing plugging away and keep trying to understand it. The more you dig, the more it'll make sense. But you're going to find these dead ends. You're going to find these in- intentionally bogus stories that, that you come up against that sound plausible and you, you incorporate that into your view of what happened on 9-11. And then it turns out that that wasn't true. Then people go, oh, see, your whole story's bullshit. Yeah. It happened just like they said on the news. And you're like, no, 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 no. One of the... 50 points of my story was wrong, but it doesn't discredit the other 49. So I think it's important for people to, you know, to recognize and be humble and honest about this. Like, 
nobody has 9-11 figured out all the way. There are still little pockets of, of, of areas where you go, oh, I just don't know how this fits. And that's okay, too. It doesn't mean that you have to have it all figured out to have an opinion on it. And, and it's really important that we continue to always look because... Things come up, people, security clearances run out, people feel, you know, people get cancer and they say, well, I can finally talk now. So I'll talk and I'll tell my story. So there's always going to be information coming out. So it's important for us to kind of be aware. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I yeah. think that's a, I think that's a good place to wrap on it. What do you guys got coming up? I know you just said you had your um, uh, macro aggressions drop today. I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. Just, we, uh, Three shows a week now. I've got a Flashback Friday episode that that just started Whoa. a couple of weeks ago. So we're we're just rotating in some of the older shows because the show because the show got. I mean, there's just more people listening now. A whole lot more people listening now than when we started. And I think a lot of people didn't hear the old shows. So uh, we've got a Friday episode that comes out that brings one out of the vault. Not not the vault under Building Six though. Just a vault. <laughs> Everybody needs to go listen to Macroaggressions ASAP. Go listen to the old stuff if you haven't heard it. If you want to follow me, go to Conspiracy Castle. You can hear me talk and yell about 9-11 all the time. Oh, my God. (laughs) Alex, your shit is the best, man. I've just got to say, it's so confusing for normies. They don't know what to make of it. You know, they don't know whether they love you or hate you, if you're being respectful or completely disrespectful, or maybe both. I just fucking love it. I just think it's the greatest. I think you're doing the greatest work out there. You're being too nice, dude. I'm not. I'm basically an autist, uh, dude. I I haven't even gotten started yet either. I'm telling you, I'm going to actually troll some people. And really step it up. Like I'm trying to get Lori Lightfoot. I got something for Portland that's going to be crazy. It's just they, they, (laughs) you know, you can only speak there so so many times. And like ever since I had a Portland City Council video that blew up, like everybody's signing up to speak at Portland because they want to make fun of Ted Wheeler. So I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not really anybody can go act stupid at a city council meeting. But there is a way to try to turn this and actually, you know, poke fun at these people in power, these non-playable characters and try to like humanize them or bring them down to our level. So uh, I'm not doing anything special. I don't want to get any credit. You're being too nice. I really appreciate that. Anybody can act mentally insane in front of a group of people. I'm just, I'm just extra. Not good with at a it. straight face. They can't. No, yeah, you, that's not the way you do it. <laughs> You've been crushing nice. it. Man. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I couldn't even. I mean, I, I have a lot of like stage time, like in theater and uh, like in front of big crowds and stuff. And I still could not, there's no way I could do what you're doing, dude, and keep a straight face. It's a, it's it's one, it's great to see. And uh, we, uh, we need more of you, but I don't know how many people can pull it off. Like you can, you're a legend, Alex Stein. And oh, and uh, shit, dude, it's pretty hard to get clipped on no agenda as much as I think you've been on clips of you have been on no agenda at least three times. Which is pretty impressive. And they're not, they're not going to stop, dude. I got I got this next thing I'm doing in, uh, <laughs> in Portland. is it's I'm not even in the video. It's going to be triple viral what I got going. I hope I don't get arrested for it is all I'm going to say. Uh-oh. Well, for the listeners out Allegedly. there, our Twitter, our Twitter DM exchange between the three of us that has been going on for like three weeks when we were originally trying to schedule this. This episode was supposed to happen a couple weeks ago, but Alex sent one of the greatest uh, messages in the history of Twitter messages. And it was that uh, <laughs> yeah. I can't do it right now. I'm trolling six different city council meetings. That day, it's funny, that day I called six different meetings at one. Uh, dude, I, okay, lo- this is the last thing I'm going to say because we do have to end the show is 
dude, I got to start focusing and doing better trolls because it was going to where I'm like doing so many meetings. I was uh, it, saying the wrong troll. <laughs> getting your story, getting your stories mixed up or your characters mixed up. They got oh, him. I think we lost him. They got him. They finally got, they zeroed in on his location and they drone stroke him. <laughs> oh shit. Oh man. Well, we'll give it a second. See if he comes back and can finish his thought. Um, oh, shit. But yeah, uh, OBDM's coming up 15 minutes. Rare encounter also coming up in 15 minutes. And, uh, what do you, what's your next episode about there, Charlie? Um, I've got Johnny Vedmore coming on from unlimited hangout. We talk about welcome oh, trust. Yeah. Yeah, nice. man, that's a good one. Yeah, so that that'll be coming out pretty soon. Um, I've been on a mad recording tear lately, so hell yeah, just trying to fight the fight the gotta gotta fight these globalists. <laughs> <laughs> gotta fight the new world order. Can't do it without money, though. I'm gonna need to sell some books. Look, I need money. Look, I need money. I'm serious. Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, if you want to hear. Uh... <laughs> More of me prank calling Wendy's with an Alex Jones soundboard. I might be doing that again later on. I don't know. Alex is back. I'm back. Yeah, my phone died. Now uh, I got it on the charger so you can hear me. Sorry, that I was on a full battery, and we in two hours, it died. I can't believe that. But what a show. We, we talked about a lot today. I appreciate you guys uh, sitting here and chopping it up with me. So thank you all. It was a blast, man. You were saying, we'll close on this. You were saying... That you were in so many doing so many council meetings, you were yeah, getting this, confused about which character you were playing or something. This is what it was because you know Charlie was joking with me. I sent that message like, "Oh, I can't. I'm trolling six different meetings." What I'm saying is getting to the the point. There's so many different meetings to troll, and there's so many you can get into. It's like I was tr- talking to St. Louis, but I thought I was talking to Rally, North Carolina, like right before the meeting. So I, <laughs> I, I I need to like focus and calm down and come up with quant. I mean, quality over quantity because uh, there's so many opportunities in the future to troll these people. I don't need to just get in a rush. I need to like not try to do ten trolls a day and focus on like hitting some big cities and hitting some big targets that actually make a dent instead of just hitting like so many and you know making small dents. It's like our generation's jerky boys. You know, exactly. You just, no, you, <laughs> dude. No, Charlie. See, you know, I'm not trying to yell. You. That's exactly what this is. I'm not. I don't consider this cutting edge at all. But I grew up listening to prank calls my whole life, thinking that's the yeah. funniest thing. Yeah. Howard Stern used to do prank calls. So yeah. this is just the new prank call. That's all. The, it's, yeah. I'm not even doing anything special. No, it's performative artwork. It's it's uh, prank phone calls. It's it's. But you uh, have the video components. I, exactly. We would have never had Zoom, and they, yeah. we never thought that prank Zoom calling was a thing. But this is the new way. And trust me, I like you know maybe I'm the first guy that's like known for Zoom pranking. But dude, this is going to be a whole like in the future. <laughs> you're a genre. You're a trendsetter, yeah. a genre creator. Yeah, I mean, it's one out of every of three or so shows on on here, I'll do prank calls. But yeah, it's just actually audio calls. It's a whole another level of commitment when you're on camera <laughs> pranking people. You got to be all in, dude. I love it, dude. You're a I hero. I love it too. It's different. Okay, I'm not a hero. I'm not a role model, but I do want to expose the new world order and and try to wake some people up. So I thank you for giving me the opportunity to try to do that a little bit. Thank you, Alex and. Charlie, you're the man. I'll, uh, as always, link people to your books. Uh, you're doing, you're doing the Lord's out work, at Lord's work out there as well. And uh, to close out here, I guess uh, I'll play the clips we didn't get to. You know, Barry Jennings, that full five minute. I'll put that at the end of the episode. And uh, cool. 
And uh, what else? Yeah, some Silverstein stuff. And the, obviously the links to everything will be in the show notes. I hope people check all that out. Uh, but yeah, Alex, Charlie, Godspeed. Peace. God bless you. See you guys. guys. Peace out. A new book called The Truth About September 11th claims to present evidence that the destruction of the World Trade Center was not the work of terrorists, but was in fact perpetrated by the U.S. government. With us, the much maligned book's author, William Gerard. Most of the mainstream media, they're just too afraid to even have me on, so thank you. Also joining us is Omar Al-Farouk of Al-Qaeda. He's an outspoken critic of what he calls Gerard's 9-11 conspiracy theories. Yes, Michael, uh, I assure you that is all this book is, is complete nonsense. Mr. Gerard. How did you arrive at the conclusions in your book? Where are the facts well, through here? scientific examination of ground zero. For example, the melted core. I mean, that oh, was here definitely we go. evidence that there were thermite bombs that were used in bringing down those buildings. I can assure you, we did not use thermite bombs. I did the research myself. It would not have worked. We flew an enormous airplane into a building. Okay, I think it is obvious what caused the building to crumble. Why it are you is... being so close-minded to this, sir? More How would you like the it? If you spent, you know, two months in a, a mountain cave, uh, sleeping on rocks, planning something really special, uh, only to have someone take the credit away from you. So, oh, no, you don't the deserve the credit for open it. Open up it, their it, minds. Mr. Gerard, why in the world would the U.S. government want to stage this attack on their own soil? Greed, of course. And to increase the oil revenues, the weapons industry, and security industry. And these are all things that Bush and uh, puppet master Cheney, they've got their snakes in. Bush's administration, there are a den of jackals. We, we certainly have common ground there. But, but what does not follow is why would they kill, kill 3,000 of their own infidels? Well, of course, because why, think about it. It was all part they, of their plan to build a case for the war in Iraq. He was so smart think to plan it. all of this. Why is his approval rating you know, in El Haman? And why is Osama bin Laden safe in... Somewhere. Yes, the Iraq war has done serious damage to the Bush uh, administration. Here, here, look, look. I have uh, names, phone numbers, everyone involved in this. you got to be kidding. Okay? Names and phone numbers. I, I have here the the voucher for the lessons, for the flight lessons. This is for obviously for his documents. And come on, did President Bush give you these himself? I this is, this Bush. Is Most Me and Bush, we go out, we hang. He goes, hey, bring the on the forgery. It is rubbish. Talking to you is like talking to a girl. This is the kind of thing our government does. I have a suggestion for you. Why don't you go to the Washington Monument? Take the family. Let's say October 12th, uh, 2009, uh, around 3.04. Uh, take a guided tour to the top and uh, just wait there. I, I think you will see that Al-Qaeda uh, is very good at, at organizing things. Gentlemen, gentlemen, thank you. Coming up when we come back, the 2008 baby pandas are in. We'll have lots of footage of that. In the six years since the tragedy of 9-11, the Transportation Security Administration says it is keeping our airports safe and secure from attack. What are they? This Onion News Network undercover investigative unit special report may surprise you. We go now to Brian Scott, live from Cedar Rapids. Thank you, Brandon. I'm here at the Eastern Iowa Airport, where this morning we put the National Airlines security system to the test. We decided to see if TSA's so-called highly trained security personnel could prevent our undercover reporters from smuggling explosive materials on board Continental Flight 742 and detonating them an hour into the flight. Our reporters prepared for their assignment in their hotel room early this morning. Brian, we can see that picture now. What exactly are they doing? 
Yes, they took several components that, when combined, form an explosive device and then hid them inside their luggage. They then proceeded to the airport dressed as ordinary business travelers. Once there, they managed to take the bomb past airport security. They then proceeded to the metal detectors, and get this, Brandon, they walked right through with the bomb. With everything the TSA has been telling us about our, our safety in the airports, how could this possibly happen? Sorry to say, Brandon, it gets even worse. We have some audio from a 911 call. One of the passengers managed to use her cell phone after our reporters had taken over the main cabin. What you just heard, Brandon, was our reporter pistol-whipping an innocent female passenger in the face while flight attendants did nothing. That's just chilling. And the same flight attendants did absolutely nothing to stop our reporter from assembling and detonating the bomb, killing everyone on board the flight. I'm told they could not even subdue our reporter, Dan Baker, who, by the way, was in terrible shape. You're absolutely right. Uh, Tell me, Brian, have any steps been taken to detain or to punish these screeners responsible for this this outrageous breach of security? The personnel responsible for the lapse in security have been temporarily suspended. No word yet on whether there will be an investigation or even indictments related to the gross negligence. Well, I'm sure all Americans hope this serves as a wake-up call to the FAA. And the FBI, too. Everything required to make the bomb was purchased right on the Internet. It cost less than $300 and was delivered to our studio via standard mail. Viewers can get a full list of the components on our website. Well, thank you, Brian. Now, after the break, we'll talk to relatives of the victims of Flight 742, many of whom are demanding answers from the government. of September 11, 2001, 19 men armed with box cutters directed by a man on dialysis in a cave fortress halfway around the world using a satellite phone and a laptop directed the most sophisticated penetration of the most heavily defended airspace in the world. Overpowering the passengers and the military combat trained pilots on four commercial aircraft before flying those planes wildly off course for over an hour without being molested by a single fighter interceptor. These 19 hijackers, devout religious fundamentalists who like to drink alcohol, snort cocaine, and live with pink-haired strippers, managed to knock down three buildings with two planes in New York. While in Washington, a pilot who couldn't handle a single-engine Cessna was able to fly a 757 in an 8,000-foot descending 270-degree corkscrew turn to come exactly level with the ground, hitting the Pentagon in the Budget Analyst Office where DOD staffers were working on the mystery of the $2.3 trillion that Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld had announced missing from the Pentagon's coffers in a press conference the day before, on September 10th. 2001. Luckily, the news anchors knew who did it within minutes. Osama bin Laden. The pundits knew within hours. Osama bin Laden. The administration knew within the day. Terrorists who committed these acts and those who harbor them. And the evidence literally fell into the FBI's lap. That a hijacker's passport was found blocks from the World Trade Center crash site, if you can believe that. But for some reason, a bunch of crazy conspiracy theorists demanded an investigation into the greatest attack on American soil in history. That investigation was delayed, underfunded, set up to fail, a conflict of interest, and a cover-up from start to finish. It was based on testimony extracted through torture, the records of which were destroyed. It failed to mention the existence of WTC-7, Able Danger, P-TECH, Sibel Edmonds, OBL and the CIA, and the drills of hijacked aircraft being flown into buildings that were being simulated at the precise same time that those events were actually happening. It was lied to by the Pentagon, the CIA, the Bush administration, and as for Bush and Cheney, 
well, no one knows what they told it because they testified in secret, off the record, not under oath, and behind closed doors. It didn't bother to look at who funded the attacks because that question is ultimately of little practical significance. Still, the 9-11 Commission did brilliantly answering all of the questions the public had, except most of the victim's family members' questions, and pinned blame on all the people responsible, although no one so much as lost their job, determining the attacks were failure of imagination because Nobody in our government, at least, and I don't think the prior government that could envision flying airplanes in the buildings. Except the Pentagon, FEMA, NORAD, and the NRO. The DIA destroyed 2.5 terabytes of data on Able Danger, but that's okay because it probably wasn't important. The SEC destroyed their records on the investigation into the insider trading before the attacks, but that's okay because destroying the records of the largest investigation in SEC history is just part of routine record keeping. NIST has classified the data that they used for their model of WTC7's collapse, but that's okay because knowing how they made their model of the collapse would jeopardize public safety. The FBI has argued that all material related to their investigation of 9-11 should be kept secret from the public, but that's okay because the FBI probably has nothing to hide. This man never existed, nor is anything he had to say worthy of your attention, and if you say otherwise, you are a paranoid conspiracy theorist and deserve to be shunned by all of humanity. Likewise him, 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 and her. And her, and her, and him. Osama bin Laden lived in a cave fortress in the hills of Afghanistan, but somehow got away. Then he was hiding out in Tora Bora, but somehow got away. Then he lived in Abbottabad for years, taunting the most comprehensive intelligence dragnet employing the most sophisticated technology in the history of the world for a decade, releasing video after video with complete impunity and getting younger and younger as he did so, before finally being found in a daring SEAL team raid which wasn't recorded on video, in which he didn't resist or use his wife as a human shield, and in which these crack special forces operatives panicked and killed this unarmed man, supposedly the best source of intelligence about those dastardly terrorists on the entire planet. Then they dumped his body in the ocean before telling anyone about it. Then a couple dozen of that team's members died in a helicopter crash in Afghanistan. This is the story of 9-11, brought to you by the media which told you the hard truths about His head could be seen to move violently forward. And They took the babies out of the incubators. And Mobile production facilities. And The rescue of Jessica Lynch. If you have any questions about this story, you are a batshit, paranoid, tinfoil, dog-abusing baby hater, and will be reviled by everyone. If you love your country and or freedom, happiness, rainbows, rock and roll, puppy dogs, apple pie, and your grandma, you will never ever express doubts about any part of this story to anyone. Ever. This has been a public service announcement by the friends of the FBI, CIA, NSA, DIA, SEC, MSM, White House, NIST, and the 9-11 Commission. Because ignorance is strength. As I told you guys before, it's very, it's very uh, funny. I was on my way to work, and... Traffic was excellent. I received a call that uh, a small Cessna had hit the uh, World Trade Center. And I was asked to go and uh, man the uh, Office of Emergency Management at the World Trade Center 7 on the 23rd floor. As I arrived there, there were police all in the lobby. They they showed me the way to the elevator. We got up to the uh, 23rd floor. Me and Mr. Hess, who I didn't know was Mr. Hess at the time, we got to the 23rd floor. Uh, we couldn't get in. We had to go back down. Then security and police took us to the freight elevators where they took us back up, and we did get in. Upon arriving into the OEM uh, EOC, we noticed that everybody was gone. I saw coffee that was on a desk. Still, the smoke was still coming off the coffee. I saw, I saw uh, half-eaten sandwiches. And only me, Mr. Hess, was up there. 
Um, after I called several individuals, one individual told me that um, to leave and leave right away. Mr. Hess came running back in. He said, we're the only ones up here. we got to get out of here. He found the stairwell. So we, we subsequently went to the stairwell and we're going. Um, after I called several individuals, one individual told me that um, to leave and leave right away. Mr. Hess came running back in. He said, we're the only ones up here. we got to get out of here. He found the stairwell. So we, we subsequently went to the stairwell and we're going down the stairs. When we reached the eighth or the sixth floor, the landing that we were standing on gave way. There was an explosion, and the landing gave way. And we, I was left there hanging. I had to climb back up, and now I had to walk back up to the eighth floor. After getting to the eighth floor, everything was dark. It was dark, and it was very, very hot. Very hot. Um, I asked Mr. Hess to test the phones as I took a fire extinguisher and broke out the windows. Once I broke out the windows, I could see outside below me, I saw uh, police cars on fire, buses on fire. Uh, I looked one way, the building was there. I looked the other way, it was gone. Um, I was trapped in there for several hours. I was trapped in there when, when both buildings came down. Um, Firefighters came, they came to the window, and because I was going to come out on the fire hose. I didn't want to stay there any longer. It was too hot. I was going to come out on the fire hose. They came to the window, and they said, they started yelling, do not do that. It won't hold you. And then they ran away. See, I didn't know what was going on. That's when one, the first tower fell. When they started running, the first tower was coming down. I had no, I had no way of knowing that. Then I saw them come back. Now I saw them come back with more concern on their faces. And then they ran away again. The second tower fell. So as they turned and ran the second time, the guy said, don't worry, we'll be back for you. And they did come back. This time they came back with 10 firefighters. Um, and they kept asking, where are you? We don't know where you are. I said, I'm on the north side of the building because when I was on the stairs, I saw north side. Excuse me. Uh, all this time, I'm hearing all type of explosions. All this time, I'm hearing explosions. And I'm thinking that maybe it's the uh, buses around me that were on fire, the cars are on fire. I don't see no, you know, but I'm still hearing these explosions. When they finally got to us, and they took us down to what what they they uh, called the lobby because I asked them I said when we got down there I said where are we he said this was the lobby and I said you got to be kidding me it was total ruins total ruins now keep in mind when I came in there the lobby had nice escalators it was a huge lobby and for me to see what I saw it was unbelievable and the firefighter that took us down kept saying do not look down and I kept saying why I said do not look down and we were stepping over people. And you know you can feel when you're stepping over people. They took us out through a hole that the, I don't know who made this hole in this wall. That's how they got us out. They took us out through a hole, through the wall, to safety. 
Luckily for all, the stalemate was broken when a real estate tycoon named Larry Silverstein, who already owned Building 7, offered to purchase a 99-year lease for the Twin Towers. 76 years old, and look at him go. He walks fast, talks fast, and is always, always selling. Silverstein seemed in a big hurry to close the deal. Even though he had been hospitalized for a car accident during the bidding operations, he asked his doctors to take him off the morphine so the deal could be finalized. So I told the doctor, I said, kill the morphine, and I got got to get my people in here because you can't think with morphine. So they let the morphine run down. The pain was terrible, and but I brought everybody together, and that's when we framed our, our best and final bid. On July 24, 2001, Larry Silverstein celebrated the acquisition of the Twin Towers with a public ceremony. Silverstein signed the lease on the World Trade Center just six weeks before 9-11. He then took out an insurance policy covering the Twin Towers for $3.2 billion in case of total destruction. Silverstein then began spending every morning of the week in his new office in the North Tower. And so my mornings were spent at the Trade Center, and then by noon I was back uptown. But on September 11, luckily for him, Silverstein didn't go to work. Even though he had already scheduled a business meeting in the North Tower, he found out that his wife had made an appointment for him at the dermatologist. The morning of September 11th, Silverstein was scheduled to have breakfast at the restaurant at the top of the North Tower. He canceled at the last minute at the insistence of his wife, Clara, who wanted him to go see his dermatologist. That particular morning, uh, my wife, God bless her, had made an appointment for me uh, at the doctor. And I said, okay, okay, yes, dear, I'll go. Everyone who was in that restaurant that morning perished. And then, just minutes later, uh, received a telephone call that turned on a television set and witnessed this horrendous circumstance. Uh, this is how, on the evening of September 11, Larry Silverstein found himself in control of some 12 million square feet of new office space to be built on some of the most valuable real estate in the world. And since the terrorist attacks had been two separate events, contended Silverstein, the insurance companies would have to pay him $7 billion to rebuild what he has always been calling My Three Towers. I will spend $7 billion on My Three Towers. Eventually, a settlement was reached for $4.5 billion, which was still one-third more than the amount initially insured by Silverstein. And since on September 11, due to the terrorist attacks, Building 7 had also been destroyed, Silverstein received another $800 million to rebuild a skyscraper that had originally cost $400 million. It's a much more beautiful building. It's a glass facade that allows the light to come into the space. The, the views on four sides are phenomenal, and the space looks magnificent. In the meantime... All the asbestos from the Twin Towers has been inhaled by the citizens of downtown Manhattan, and especially by the first responders and volunteers who worked at Ground Zero, who are now being decimated by mesothelioma and other pulmonary diseases. All episodes of Abs in a Six-Pack are now available at shitmyass.com. Tell your normie siblings. Tell your idiot parents. Tell your dumbass friends. Tell your moron neighbor. Tell your grandparents before they die. They can maybe spread it around to some of their senile old fuck friends. Tell your mom and dad about ShipMyAss.com. Tell your creepy uncle about ShipMyAss.com. Tell your Uber driver about ShipMyAss.com. Tell the guy that delivers your terrible pizza about ShipMyAss.com. Tell every homeless guy you meet on the street. Call your congressman. Call your governor. Tell them about ShipMyAss.com. Call the Sandy Hook parents. Tell them about ShipMyAss.com. 
shitmyass.com yard signs, put them all around your whole neighborhood, but rig them with explosives so that they blow up after 24 hours and no one knows they were there. Just start going through the phone book, call random numbers, tell them about shitmyass.com, say, hey, there's new episodes up at shitmyass.com. Go to the mall, look for the person that looks the most retarded, tell them about shitmyass.com. Then go to another mall, look for the smartest guy with the most smarty pants, glasses, and good hair. Tell him about shitmyass.com. Tell him to spread the news. Start committing misdemeanors or possibly felonies so that you can become a repeat offender in the prison system. Tell the prisoners, tell your cellmate about shitmyass.com. Tell the prison guards about shitmyass.com. Tell the cop, tell them I sent you. They'll give you 10% off discount code for, uh, uh, you have any black friends? Tell them, hey, have you heard the Joe Rogan experience? Well, this podcast over here at shipmyass.com says the N-word even less than Joe Rogan. I mean, it's not like they never say it at all, but they say less than, than Joe Rogan. Tell your black friends that. If you're ever in a public situation and somebody farts, but you don't know if they farted or they sharted, say, hey, <laughs> you must have been going to shipmyass.com. Go to the park, kidnap somebody's dog, and then when they come to get it back from you, tell them about shipmyass.com. Say, hey, your dog would love this podcast. I'm doing you a favor. Pick up skateboarding as a hobby. Even if you're terrible and bust your knee or bust your head open, you can tell all the skating guys, hey, have you been to shipmyass.com yet? There's some good podcasts there. Or just lie to them. Tell them it's, it's gutter punk skate between shit cringe music, whatever the fuck those idiots listen to. Tell them, hey, you can get the good skating music at shipmyass.com. Run for mayor. Run for mayor your city or county when you get elected you can tell everybody about shipmyass.com and mandate that it be on every billboard and every street sign and every fucking bench and uh get, you know, that's just how you help the podcast out so i don't think it's asking too much reopen that 9-11 investigation what really happened there 